Hello, welcome and bienvenue, konnichiwa, ni hao, jambo, marhaba. It's time for the Army Inquisition yet again, episode 256 on Sunday, the 6th of November. Remember, remember the 6th of November mm. uh, 2022. I'm Armish Phil. I'm Armish Ben. And I'm Armish Matt. And uh, tonight we are joined by the author of the book. book. Grab the book. Grabbing the book. Jack Kirby's. I should know. I, I've, I finished it literally last night. Jack Kirby's History of the Future by uh, Chris Tolworthy. How are we doing, Chris? Doing very well, thank you. I hadn't realised this is number 256. Sorry, I do a bit of programming, so it's a binary. Very important number. Oh, yeah, 512, 1024, all that. Is it a sacred number? Is this a Fibonacci number or something like that? It's a programme, as it is. <laughs> well, aren't we... Isn't this universe just one giant matrix based on mathematics anyway, Chris? That's it, that's what it is. Straight in. There's the proof. <laughs> There's the proof that this episode is 256. Right. Okay. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week. <laughs> um, now, um, we've actually just come. There's some phones messing around. Um, to talk about your book, which I mentioned, I've finished this week. Um, oh, now then, Jack, I, I loved it. And I'm not just saying this because you're here. Um, you cover, I mean, the scope of the book is huge. We're talking ancient history, younger dry-ass theology, Marvel comics, yes, and how that plays in, which is wild. Um, so, a good starting point might be the man himself, Jack Kirby. Can you tell us a bit about him for, for, for those of us who aren't um, comic book aficionados? Right, well, yes. Now, the official version you'll probably hear if you type in his name is he was an artist, and Stan Lee wrote these great stories, and Jack Kirby illustrated them. You know, the Avengers, Fantastic Four, that kind of thing. That's the official story, and that's what I believed. I used to run the Fantastic Four website. It was the biggest Fantastic Four website in the world, the Great American Novel, they called it, which I went into extreme detail because I thought these things were great. I grew up on this stuff. And, uh, yeah, I thought he was a good artist. didn't think he was a great artist. I thought he was okay. But he's one of these people, when you get older, you, you like his stuff more and more and more. And you begin to realise he wasn't just the artist, he was actually writing this stuff. And to cut a long story short, he wrote the whole thing. He wrote everything. It's... Actually, oh, where do I start? Something else you need to know about me is I used to be a Mormon. I was a Mormon missionary. I was a branch president in charge of the local congregation. I had a thousand-page theology website. And I basically discovered that my church was, I don't know if I can say this online, a cult, basically. And I had a very similar experience about 10 years later with Marvel Comics. And I discovered that what I thought was this great guy called Stan Lee who'd written everything. He hadn't. Jack Kirby had written everything. So eventually, again, to cut a long story short, I thought I'd write a book about the Stan Lee, Jack Kirby thing. But to be honest, when you look into it, it's so black and white, there's really nothing to say. 
And if you want to look into it, there's a guy, friend of mine, who wrote this book, uh, According to Jack Kirby, in which he goes into a chapter and verse showing how Kirby did absolutely everything. So I thought, instead of writing just another I Hope Stan Lee book, <laughs> let's look at him as a writer. What has he actually written? And the more I looked into it, the more amazing it became. Now, here's the guy who created The Avengers, which were, became the biggest selling movie of, a franchise of all time. He inspired Star Wars, which was the second biggest movie franchise of all time. Uh, a chapter I finally got out of my books, it was getting too long, was how he almost created Harry Potter, which is the third biggest movie franchise of all time. He sold 600 million books, which puts him way up in the sort of top 10 or 20 authors of all time. But unlike all the others, he was a master of more genres than anybody else. You know, most, most top-selling authors are the absolutely master one genre, two, maybe three, possibly four if you're Shakespeare. Whereas Kirby, you're talking seven, eight, nine. I mean, absolute top quality stuff. But what really got me about him was his attitude to life. The more I looked at his attitude, it's, it's very, very ancient. His, his way of thinking. I mean, for example, if you read a lot of comics, they're big on introspection. Well, they were back in the 80s when I used to read a lot. And, you know, characters all the big thoughts, thinks balloons, thinking about themselves and their feelings and their personalities and their relationships. Whereas Kirby's stuff is nothing like that. His is very like reading a, a, an ancient text where all they do is they do stuff. There's no inner world. They've got a problem. They solve the problem. It's action, action, action. Mm. And the, oh, I've talked about this for ages. He's just an amazing character. The more you look at Kirby, the deeper it becomes. Now you can read this stuff. And this is really the reason I started this. I said I had this Fantastic Four website. I find the more you read the most comics, the worse they get. You get nostalgia from them, but they, they, they just decay, you know. Eventually, you see all the problems. You see all the mistakes. Anything... <laughs> You can lose interest, to be honest, apart from nostalgia. Kirby was the other way around. You start off thinking, he's just an artist. You read it again, you see another layer. You read it again, you think, that's really interesting. Where did he get that idea from? You read it again, and it's like it gets better and better and better and better every time you read it. I thought, this this is just quite amazing. Um, But yeah, that's basically the greatest writer I've ever known. And are these these stories that you're talking about the ones after Stan Lee's edited them? Well, that's the thing. Um, Kirby was writing from the 1930s to the 1990s. He was only with Stan Lee for 10 years. And that's because, I don't know if you heard of the, two, the 1954 um, anti-comics crusade. That was the year when Jack Kirby set up his own comics company. A terrible timing. Because there's this guy called uh, oh, it's Frederick Wortham. He wrote this book, Seduction of the Innocent, about how comics are the most evil thing ever and they're po- poisoning children. And this being in the 1950s, people started burning comics and publishers wouldn't, sorry, news agents wouldn't take any new comics they didn't have already. So all Kirby's stuff that he put all his money into uh, was just sitting on the, on the doorstep. They never even got opened. These bundles of comics he printed. So he lost all his money because of the 1954 anti-comics crusade. So 1957, cut a long story short again, he was desperate for, for work. And that's when Stan Lee came along and, aha, he's got the, the world's greatest comic creator here. But uh, yeah, 1930s, 1940s, and 1940s is best stuff he wrote. Absolutely fantastic. He sold more in the 40s than any other time. Uh, and that's when he created Captain America. He did the Young Romance. Um, he did amazing, <laughs> amazing stuff. The 60s were just one 10-year gap, but that's all we hear about now because uh, Marvel Comics became so big. One one of the things that was striking uh, in your book was the, I think it was, I don't know if, no, it was Fantastic Four. There was a Fantastic Four comic, and it was the one with the statue of Janus, the old Roman god, the two-headed god, yeah. which sort of 
represents the beginning. The, you know, remember we talked about with Ryan mm-hmm. Seven. It's it's December and January. It's that the the new beginning or yeah. or whatever, and how all the sort of soul had been sucked out of the story in the editing process, and you have like the before and the after. Yeah. Oh, that's classic. I mean, I don't want to turn this into a sort of a rant against Stan Lee, but, uh, but I think it's very relevant to what you're doing in the Amish uh, Inquisition podcast. And you have the official version, the one that all the money goes to, and you look below it and you find out what's really going on is often entirely the opposite of what you think. And it's often really, really obvious. And with, with Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, for example, you could go into all the details of who did what and what's the evidence, but just look at what the people created. Kirby was constantly creating incredibly deep, rich stories, which get better and better when you read them. And Stanley wasn't. And according to the official view, Kirby suddenly forgot how to write. He was like the top comic writer in the world. He suddenly forgot how to write in 1961 and suddenly remembered again in 1970. Meanwhile, Stanley, who'd never written anything of any quality, suddenly became this great writer in 1960 and then suddenly forgot how to write in 1970. Like, really? And am I right in saying I thought I, I thought I picked this up in the book that all of his work, everything he wrote, is based in the same timeline, like the same historical narrative? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not deliberate. It's because he wrote it himself. Because he, he wrote he wrote from the gut. He didn't plan any of his stories. He'd start with a blank page and he'd just start creating because he had such he'd read so deeply. Uh, what you want is my book, The Lost Jack Kirby Stories. <laughs> I've got one of the chapters here. Which you also download for free because there are a few typos in these things. I realise, you know, I'm more interested in studying it than I am in talking about it. So, so I'm grateful to be on your podcast, but you can get it for free. But one of the chapters in this does go into all this stuff and show how this links to that. This links to, that. for example, Thor leads to new gods. New gods leads to um, Captain. Um, oh, come on, it all joins up anyway. You can see this event is that event, that event is this event, this character is actually that character. This thing he stopped about in 1940 actually finally finished in two, sorry, 1994. You know, it all connects up. It's quite phenomenal. And it wasn't deliberate. I want to emphasize this. Right. Um, you know, like most nerdy people, I, I like to plan things and, and have charts and diagrams. And I think this is great. Whereas the real creators, they just do it from the gut. There's no planning at all there. It's just that's what's inside him. He has this thing he wants to say. He sees the world in a certain way, and it inevitably comes out in stories. And if you can't go one publisher, one publisher, that same story will just continue with the next publisher. Slightly changed names, but it's, it's purely from the gut. What you're seeing is like you're opening a window and you're seeing the outside world. Everything connects in the outside world. He doesn't plan that way, well, unless you're really into a God planning everything. But no, it wasn't planned, but everything connects because it all came from the same force. Wonderful stuff. One of the things that um, that piqued my interest very early on was your mention of uh, Kirby's awareness of this cycle of civilization, the 12,000-year yes. cycle or thereabouts, and that immediately <clears throat> got me thinking about the Younger Dryas and the procession of the equinoxes and uh, sort of the great year, the 25,960-year cycle or whatever it's supposed to be, roughly. How, how does that sort of come through in uh, Kirby's work? Well, again, it's one he's I say you want to read them again and read them again and read them. The first time you read Kirby, you'll say it's just a bunch of people hitting each other and it's very fast and very exciting. And that's what most people see, great art. Um, but Kirby wasn't interested in the art. He said it's, that's just a way to tell the story. The next time you read, you see you know, the, the references, like this is a biblical reference here. And so, the next time and so on and so on. 
the particular 10,000 year cycle, he suggested around about 10,000 years because it could be a, a bit less, a bit more, whatever. He wasn't interested in the details. But uh, that comes from a book called Commandy. Now, I can go get it if you like, but I'll disappear off the camera for a moment, uh, which is a series of uh, post-apocalyptic stories about um, what happened after the next great disaster. It doesn't specify exactly what it is. Uh, he sort of hints it could be this, could be that. I mean, I think, looking at the details, it has to be a nuclear war. But, I mean, it could be other things. The point is, it's a reset, big reset. We're back to being hunter-gatherers. And uh, he's, he's had a little essay in the first issue explaining what he was doing and saying uh, that there is scientific evidence that every 10,000 years or so, you know, the world does reboot. He actually wrote that just after they discovered the uh, the Champ event, you know, 39,000 BC, when the um, electric, the magnetic poles almost flipped. And so the theory at the time was that this was what caused this great, great change. Wow, so when was this, like in, the, when was this like in the 60s? When was he writing this? Uh, that was in 1970, so 1971, something like that. So what yeah, was... I think the event was discovered like 1969, because he was always up to date. I love Kirby's stuff, because whatever's in the news, it'll be in his stories. <laughs> you can sort of you can get a history of the 1960s, and you know, everything in the 1930s and 1990s, just by reading his stories and seeing what was, what was there. Uh, we've not talked about the Le Champ event whatsoever. Tell us a bit more about that. All right, yeah, well, there's... T- 39,000 BC, although this is the other thing. I mean, I've got to bring this in at the beginning in case anyone turns off because they get bored. Why is nobody talking about this? If you look at the um, ancient Egyptian records, they date their civilization to 39,000 BC. If you look at the Chinese records, they date their civilization to 39,000 BC. If you look at the uh, Indian records, they date it in, in sort of 12,000 year cycles, but one of them would have been 39,000 BC. If you look at uh, the Chinese, uh, the Indian, the, the Yazidis, oh, this is I mean, this is another mind-blowing thing to me. I read the Bible, uh, I love the Bible, not as a history book, not, not a religion anymore. But uh, the people who wrote the Bible are still there in the same place, and they haven't changed. They're called the Yazidis. They're exactly the same people, and they've got their own records, which go right back. Get Everything, every major civilization has records that begin in 39,000 B.C., why does it not talk about this? Which happens to be the Champ event, which is when the uh, uh, magnetic fields almost flipped. Now, at the very minimum, you'd have lights in the sky, like northern lights really bright, back down to the equator. Squatter man. Mm. Yeah. Now, there were some people were saying, well, maybe this could have caused this and caused that, and it could have caused earthquakes, and because that suggests that things are happening inside the world. You know, the, the magma is sort of shifting, and it could be fantastically powerful things happening. Um, I like to take a minimalist view, and this is evidence of contrary. But the other big thing that happened in 39,000 BC is that is when we beat the uh, Neanderthals. They'd ruled the world for 120,000 years, however it was. They were in northern Europe, northern half of the world. The rest of us could only get to the southern coast, we say in Africa, or the southern coast down to Australia. The north was out of bounds to us. But suddenly, 39,000 BC, we see these lights in the sky in the north, and obviously... I mean, the sky is important. The sky tells you the time, it tells you the year, it tells you the 12,000-year cycle, the 24,000-year cycle, and so on. So you can see what's going on in their head. There's lights in the sky in the north. We've got to move north. So we did move north. We wiped out the Neanderthals, and that's when we began our civilizations. And, you know, I'm like, we've got records. Why is people not talking about this? The Yazidis have records. The Chinese have records. You know, the Egyptians, they have records. The Indians have records. And no one's talking about it. And it all connects and we're supposed to believe that we haven't got any records before 3000 BC. 
I'm like, what? Well, is this a case of historians uh, relegating this record or oral tradition to the category of mythology? Yeah, well, ex- exactly. I and mean, that's the That's a big part of it. Well, not a big part of the book. Probably one of the more controversial parts. <laughs> stuck it in an appendix. I give seven examples of how historians, uh, scholars, destroy far more history than they preserve. And that's one of the biggest ways, is by saying that oral history doesn't count. If you say oral history doesn't count, then you can immediately dismiss everything before 3000 BC. You know, 100,000 years of, of history. I mean, that, that was a mind-blowing thing to me. We left Africa at 110,000 BC. We've got records from then. But, of course, it was written, recorded in different ways. Um, you know, there is a, a theory which I, I definitely subscribe to, that full writing from 3000 BC, when we actually have every single word written down, is really bad. <laughs> Because you don't have to understand the thing. That's idiot writing. With idiot writing, you can not know something, but you think you know it. Before that, writing was just notes. There was the same 30, is it 26 or 32, 30, about that, about 32 symbols used throughout the world. There's a wonderful book called uh, The First Signs. And this woman, again, why aren't people talking about this? There was a scientist. She wanted to find out what all the signs were that were written on cave walls. And nobody had actually listed them. They'd never, no one had ever done this work. There's all this writing on these cave walls going back to 100,000 BC, and no one has ever written it down. So she wrote a book about it, and she actually went to all these caves. I said it's exactly the same 32 signs throughout the whole world, at least as back as 60,000 BC, and she's fairly sure back to 110,000 BC. But they they were used as memory aids. You know, like you have a knot in a bit of string or or a knot in your kwaipu, you know, kipu. You know, the Aztecs, they had an entire, a large civilization, large empire. Millions of people all run with its string with knots on it. Yeah. These memory aids, it's a very, very efficient way of, of writing because the person who reads it has to understand it already. And it's just a way to remember the important bits. Whereas with full writing, you can be an absolute idiot and seem like you know what you're talking about. People are probably nodding their heads saying, yes, this is your point. And with, with oral tradition as well, there's the interactive aspect. So when you're yes. relaying the story, the people you're talking to can ask you questions and clarifications. Exactly. So you've got to if know your audience. Them, they can find out straight away. You know, whereas with writing, you can't. If you write a good enough book, you look like you're brilliant, but you might not be. Whereas if you've got to explain it to the person, they can say, wait a minute, you said this, or I know you're a a known liar, you know, or this just doesn't sound right, or show me. <laughs> or, I mean, oral history is fantastic. There's so many examples of oral history going back 10,000 BC uh, to uh, 37,000 BC was one of them. They have these stories that they could only have known if they'd seen this particular animal or this particular volcano or whatever. Yeah, so it's, it's fascinating. It, it's about to back Mormonism. The big thing with me was that, you know, I thought I had all the answers. I once read a book, I never published it, uh, 300 evidences of the Book of Mormon to prove that it was true. And I had mountains of evidence that was really convincing, I thought. And it turned out I was completely wrong. I think, what else are we completely wrong about? I mean, completely wrong. You can have tons of evidence and yet still be wrong. Mm-hmm. So I thought, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> I thought the only things we really know is what we actually experience directly. And that's where your oral history comes in. Yep. Absolutely. Wow. Well, uh, well, yeah. So the, 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 Lechamp, the Lechamp event was a, a magnetic pole. Yes, it, so is it just sort of a pole drift or a weakening of the, um, what do they call it, the the electromagnetic shield? Shield. Shield, a weakening of the shield. You're controlling me then. Your picture's above me like you were doing the, the puppet thing. <laughs> 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 
I'm a spitting image. Anyone old enough for that? No. Yeah. 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 Yeah, just about much, really. more more peas. What was Major's yes. wife? <laughs> oh god! At the beginning, they used to have the yeah the, the puppets and the summer cut the string and uh, my little foot would fall over. <laughs> now, um, oh, so- to, yeah, the champ event because an earlier version of this book. I've got so many versions of this book. That's why I finally published it. I know it's got some typos. I found a typo in the second paragraph of the first page. Ah, can't believe it. It's, it's going to be that way because I was constantly changing it, constantly finding new things. An earlier version. They started off with the champ event. Because, again, people don't know about this stuff. What happened, have you heard of, is it Gear Fear? The planet that hit, that smashed into the Earth to create the moon. Create the moon, yeah. Yeah. Now, apparently, it's probably still there inside the Earth. Because the Earth is quite big. This thing hit the Earth, splash. And so there's this huge mass of of iron or something. It's just floating around the Earth's core. And this is what caused the jump event, probably. I mean, it's hard to prove because, you know, nobody can actually go down there. But this is what they're thinking. And I thought, this is phenomenal. We've got our sister planet smashed into us, created the moon, and it's still inside our planet, moving around. And every now and then it moves to a certain point, and that's enough to... That's what creates the, the movement, which creates the magnetic field. And when it moves the wrong way, it'll sort of flip around. And I thought, our baby planet is still inside us. I love that. <laughs> that's but terrifying! That's absolutely terrifying! <laughs> That's a yes. bit like yeah, right. the uh, Eternals movie. It is, it? Well, yeah. uh, Jack Kirby, uh, tell us about the Eternals comics, because Jack Kirby oh, wrote them. Yes, I love the Eternals. I, mean, I haven't seen the movie. What I have seen of it makes me not want to see it. Yeah. <laughs> good decision. Good decision. Yeah. It's not good. It's uh, terrible. I gather that the, the, writer, the writer, the director, is sort of well-known for other reasons and great, but that is a classic example. Mm. The Eternals is about the things that are eternal. Originally, it was called The Return of the Gods. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the final version copy was the Eternals. I like the Eternals title better. It's about eternal values. It's about the things which never change. Mm-hmm. Uh, as characters who who are always here, they've seen the whole of Earth world history. So it tells you how cre- humans were created and what's going to happen in the future. About how the gods periodically come back and, and see how things are going. And obviously, it, it's being mythology. It, it's written to be exciting and interesting, but and fun. You know, the space gods they wear gigantic spacesuits. But basically, it's telling real history. I mean, it says it's based on the Inca stories. Now, the Inca stories, the space gods, were the, the Inca rulers. You know, they claimed to come down from space, but they're humans. And uh, they finally, the Europeans came and got rid of them, and they said they were going to come back, and, and that's what the story's about. But the real world, space gods, are the people who think they own the world. They act like gods. I mean, the past, of people like Gilgamesh, who was a one, one, that's a two-thirds god, one-third man. It's all propaganda. If you go back to the original sources, the, the single stories that became the Gilgamesh epic, you can see he was just a regular king. He made mistakes. He lost wars sometimes. But, of course, in his epic, he was like this fantastic he-man, you know, massively powerful, wrestled bulls and so on. And that's what these godmen are like. And these are the people who, who control the world periodically and mess up and it all goes wrong. And uh, Kirby was saying, these kind of people are going to come back again, but this time in spaceships. And it's like, this is happening. You know, Elon Musk, he, uh, he didn't actually go up in the spaceship, but you had those billionaires last year sort of racing each other to go up there. Mm-hmm. He's a man, they're literally flying in space. <laughs> I mean, Jeff Bezos, he, his plan is to turn the planet Earth into a garden that you can visit, and we're all going to live on satellites, <laughs> which he's going to own. You know, you'll only breathe air if you pay him money. Yes, yeah, I mean, a maniac. Yeah, this is more gods than there's ever been before. Talk about godmen. I mean, 
in the past of your Gilgamesh, all he could do is build a big tower and stand at the top of the tower and then yeah, be closer to God that way. I mean, Elon Musk, he, his tower takes off and flies in the sky. Yeah, and, and he, he rules the world. I mean, I mean, Elon Musk he wants to be the ruler of Mars, and he's going to be the gatekeeper because his his he's got like a he'll fund a bill a thousand of his spaceships. It'll be so cheap that nobody else can go to space unless they go through it, unless you want all the money. Mm. He's going to be the gatekeeper to the universe. These are gods. And how people don't believe in God? Well, people don't believe in gods because they say, oh, no, I'm not a god. No, the gods is this thing up in the sky that's all sort of weird and magical. No, that's not what it used to be. The gods are real. No, people, if you look in Genesis, the original God, he walked in the garden. He did not know where Adam was. He said, oh, where are you? He said, and the day you eat that fruit, you will surely die. But Adam ate the fruit and he didn't die. Those gods made mistakes. Throughout Genesis, the first half, the gods just, they come and visit you. They sit in your tents and they, they don't know what's going on. They were just the rulers. You know, these, these are the godmen, and we're getting them back again. That's, that's my point. We had them in the past. We had a period when we kind of got rid of them, especially the French, Revo- French Revolution, for example. <laughs> it seems to me that's what uh, the Eternals is about. These godmen existed in the past. Now they're coming back with spaceships. And uh, in Kirby's view, they, were, they appeared in 1976, and they were going to hang around for 50 years, and then they're going to judge the Earth. 50 years after 1976, hence it's a 2026, hence the title of the book. So... I thought, it's happening. If you look at democracy, democracy kind of peaked in 1976 and it's going down ever since. And, but now, pretty much, we haven't got any. <laughs> would what that happens? be, well, would that be the end of the Vietnam War, 76? Something like that. And the main thing with Kirby, is, it was, he loved America. He loved the idea of America. And the real thing, of course, is a different matter. The idea of freedom, the idea of anybody can just make it and they were all equal. He loved democracy. Most of his villains were kings. If you look at the early Fantastic Four, every single villain wanted to be a king. There was a picture of him on the throne commanding everybody. And Kirby hated that. America stood for democracy. The ordinary people mattered. And so 1976, of course, was the bicentennial. And that's why it was a big deal to him. He spent the whole year doing nothing but writing about America and about freedom and about democracy. He's, he's very political. He doesn't look political. If you, get, if you look below the surface, look at the names he uses. Like his main villain who opposed Captain America, Mr. Tory. Now, I, I don't want to get too political here, so I'm sure we will have all kinds of people watching. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it's 1976, if you look at when the uh, Microsoft, um, not so much Google, we were a little bit later, uh, Apple, uh, when uh, personal computers started to sell, everything really starts in 1976, 50 years later. If you want something passed in any kind of in government in America or Britain, you basically got to have billionaires on your side. If the billionaires don't want it, you don't get it. That's the start of the credit boom as well, you know, credit cards and stuff like that. Yeah. Mid-70s. I mean, obviously, we're simplifying here, you know, but you've got to simplify. You've got to say, hey, it sort of started about this, it's going to finish about now. Yeah, these, these things, uh, they go in cycles and patterns. It's been happening all the time, but yeah, yeah. space gods, space gods are taking over. The other thing that strikes me about um, the the main space god, Mr. Musk, is he seems to be trying to mon- monopolize the internet as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with the uh, Skylink, as well as like just make a complete eyesore of the night sky for us with That's these right, flowing yeah. things. Sometimes you got to step back and think, good grief, look at what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's exciting in a way, you know. For one person, can build a thousand spaceships and can do this and do that and do the other. Wow, you know, amazing. <laughs> I mean, the other thing is if he, it seems that this space travel thing, other than colonizing Mars, one of the other major uh, motivations that these guys have is mining asteroids and how 
once you have that ability, if you're the first to get that ability, you are king of the world, essentially, aren't you? Because of yeah. the amount of uh, monetary value in those sort of minerals and precious, precious oh, metals. Yeah. Ridiculous numbers of zeros at the end of the, of the dollar sign. Yeah. <laughs> but you just wonder, like, well, people just won't stand for it, though, will they? It won't matter what we stand for it. <laughs> How do you mean? Well, that's the point. People all say to me, well, they'll still need, they'll always need us to buy their stuff. So they've got to be nice to us because we buy their stuff. Yeah, but that's a, that's a temporary blip in history. I mean, the average king did not rely on serfs to buy his stuff. rather <laughs> than the slave and make his stuff. I mean, there's going to come a time when Elon Musk is going to say, I would like, I don't know, well, what's he like? <laughs> I want a new planet. Make a new planet for himself. And he can do it because he's got the equipment, he's got the machines, he's got the unlimited resources. He's got he mind his asteroids. I say a whole planet. Yeah, you can make a, a moon, Star, War, Star Trek, Star Wars. Star Wars. Yeah, you can make a Death Star if you wanted to. He's got the resources. He wouldn't need many people. You need a few. You need the 1%. You need the, the best engineers and maybe a few artists. They'll always need the 1%. But the rest of us, they just don't need us. Because once the machines are good enough, you'll need a few people to run the machines. And that's it. They uh, don't need us to buy their stuff. Now they- our buying power is just getting less and less as a proportion of the world's wealth. We're just like a rounding error. And then that's my argument that we're just going to become very, very annoying to these people, which is what happened last time. It goes back to the Bible stuff. It's fascinating. These things run in cycles. The Bible prophecy, we're told from the churches, this is some mysterious, miraculous, spiritual thing you've just got to believe in. Garbage. Originally, this was just history. It was patterns. People saw patterns. They saw things happen again and again and again and again. And so they said, well, think it's going to happen again. It's, you know, the Bible prophecy is like prophesying someone is going to live to the age of 70. It's because you see a lot of people living to the age of 70. Um, and so it doesn't mean you can prove exactly on the year 70 this person is going to ascend to heaven. You might live five years, might be 120 years, but 70 is about a good average. The same with the prophecies. This prophecy of uh, the, the end of the world around about the year 2000 is because this is kind of how it happened when the last time they had an information revolution, when they invented full writing in 3000 BC. Very, very similar process, similar pattern happened. And the Book of Enoch argues that this is going to happen again. And that's what these prophecies are based on. Tell well, us. Well, sorry. Sorry. Again, no, before, yeah, you're going so fast. It's like, I want to jump in, but because you, you're skipping over really interesting stuff. Like the, the part where you talk about the invention of writing and what upheaval that created for the civilization at the time. Yeah. I guess it's fascinating. I mean, it ties into how um, scholars can sort of poo-poo and destroy history. Um, one of my what podcasts that I love and both hate, hate is the History of the Bible podcast. Have you heard? It's an Australian guy. He just goes through the mainstream scholarship of the Bible, sort of book by book. But he's not, he, doesn't, he doesn't really get into it. It's just this is what the scholars say. Oh, yeah, yeah. One of the things they'll always do is have a good laugh on the Gnostics. <laughs> because it sounds weird. There are these weird words. But it's just technical jargon. What the Gnostics were doing was trying to understand what's happening. And one of the best books they wrote was called uh, The Hypostasis of the Archons, which just means the nature of the rulers. And what they did was they looked, they looked at the Book of Enoch, and they said, anybody who kills everybody with a flood cannot be a very good god. He cannot, cannot pretend this person is good. Anyways, I'm, I'm jumping around here, but Enoch. Enoch is your central character. If you're interested in prophecy or the future or the past, Enoch comes up again and again. The book of Enoch is like ground zero for this information. And it's all about Enoch, who was this uh, guy who lived about 3000 BC. 
uh, is the Sumerians have a version of it as well. You should always look at the earlier versions. If you just look at the Bible, you have some really weird ideas. Look at the earlier versions of the Bible. Well, it's not even in the Bible, is it? It's, in the, it's, in the, it's not even in the Bible. It's in the Ethiopian Bible, isn't it? Exactly, yes. Yes, the Ethiopians, they've got the right idea. They didn't throw <laughs> this stuff out. They said, if it's, if it's in there once, it's in there forever. How would you carry one of their Bibles? But yes, it's very popular. I mean, it's quoted in the New Testament. But there's different versions of it. Anyway, in answer to your question, yeah, writing was invented 3000 BC because the temples were getting so rich that they needed to keep a record of all the goods that were coming in. And this, again, is the Mormonism thing. Mormonism is saying that, is that pattern again. It's absolutely fascinating. They got so rich. But anyway, that's another topic. Yeah, they got, people got rich. 4,000 BC, the Uruk period began. The Ubaid period ended. Uruk period began. So when the kings, that's when civilization as we know it began. You got kings, you got cities, you got writing. Uh, real writing began, full writing, about 3,000 BC, because they had so much money, they had to keep track of it. And that changed everything. Once they had full writing, you could have far more complicated cities. The kings could live off in their palaces somewhere and control this huge empire. And we were basically slaves. And they, and they had what they called the big men. Now, I know a lot of people argue about whether they were giants back then. They may well have been giants. I'm just talking about on a minimalist interpretation. The big men were, like in an African tribe, you have the big man of the village. The big men were just the, the, the gods, the, the, the rulers, the people who could do anything. Going back, to, uh, going back to Marvel, they might call him Kingpin? Exactly. Yes, the Kingpins, yes. And these big men, got, they call them Lugals, Lugal this, Lugal that, in, in the ancient Sumer. And these big, again, more, getting bigger and bigger, did more and more crazy stuff until finally they collapsed the entire civilization. And what I'm saying is that's happening again. These people, because information technology gives so much power to the few people and they can't handle it, or they can handle it for themselves, but they don't realize everything's interconnected. And what happened back then was that the flood in the Bible, you think is the whole world, because it's the whole world as they knew it. If you look in the Gilgamesh version, you realize it was actually the flooding of the city of Shorapek, which was the biggest city in Sumer, Sumer being the first civilization as we know it. Um, and what happened was they got sick of the local people com- com- making a noise, complaining, basically. I mean, it's bosses versus workers. Trade union so revolt, like, essentially. Yeah, there's a revolt. They're going to make an example of these people in cities. Now, the entire... Um, Civilization then was based in the desert, based on canals. Uh, irrigation was everything. And so they decided one year they were going to just burst all the dams and also set fire to the houses. And then this is one of the first things that really got me interested in the Bible. I know I was brought up with it, but you know, most people leave the Mormon church and throw the thing away. But to me, I thought I had this great old Bible, I had all the dates at the top. 2348 BC was when the flood was. The Epic of Gilgamesh said that this was a city of Sherapak getting flooded and burnt. Now, the flood wouldn't show up in the, in the historical record because there's a flood every year. We didn't know, you know, can't tell from the historical, from the archaeological record that they burst all the dams and that's what killed everybody. But we can see the burning. And that's exactly the year, 2350, as far as I can tell. They can't be more accurate than 10, 50 years. But it happened. They destroyed the capital city, killed all the workers, thought that will show them. But what that did is undermine people's faith in the leaders. No one's going to trust the leaders. It's a social contract. It's been completely broken. So the whole civilization collapsed. And that's when you get um, Arkad. Oh, what's his name? Um, Sargon. Sargon, thank you. Sargon of Akkad comes in and just takes over every city and becomes the first empire. Yeah. And after that, you have the thing which one of his descendants then tries to organize a same single language, everybody, and really... Um, streamline it and make it work properly and again it collapses and what I'm saying was what the Book of Enoch is saying is what happened then is going to happen at the end same thing 
Um, if you follow the pattern, you see, we have followed the pattern, the same sort of period of time, about 500 years. Well, then they got to writing 3000 BC, by 2350 BC, the whole thing just collapsed because there's too much power and too few hands. Now, in the modern time, we've got uh, the, the uh, movable type in 1500 AD, and about 500 years later, we had the internet, and now we've got these, these space god people who've got information technology is giving them phenomenal power. Yeah, just yeah, we'll be getting the new first trillionaire soon. Yeah. So we've we've got these sort of malevolent modern space gods now, as as yeah. the old kings were, and there doesn't seem to be you know where where are the heroes in this to to put a Marvel spin Where's on Perseus? It? Yeah, or, yeah or, or were there no heroes? Is it is the end always a reset, a collapse, and then a, a starting again until someone else becomes a malevolent? Billionaire. Well, the Greeks, are the, yeah, they're the ones who invented the idea of, well, their names are the Golden Age, Silver Age, Bronze Age, and, and the Age of Iron that we're in now. And they talk about the Age of Heroes. They had great hope in these heroes that things did seem to be getting a bit better for a period of time, but didn't last. Mm-hmm. There seemed to be, uh, I mean, this is why it annoys me how scholars have destroyed so much uh, history, particularly oral history, either de- deliberately or uh, by, by neglect. Um, because if we had more, we'd have a much clearer idea of exactly how it happened. There are patterns, there are forces underlying. But basically, I think what it comes down to is predators and prey. You know, we became the top predator in the world. We then decided to be predators on ourselves, and that's when it all went wrong. And if humans are predators on humans, it's going to end badly. There's no way around it. <laughs> and so then it starts again. So, yeah, there will be heroes. I mean, that's kind of the situation we're in now. We've got all these uh, messiahs. I almost made a meme I was going to send you about these are not the messiahs you're looking for. The Christians are thinking of a messiah being this one man who's going to come and save you and everything's going to be wonderful. But that's a Christian idea. Well, they're just quoting Jewish beliefs. They're Jewish beliefs. There are plenty of messiahs, at least four. Mm. But yeah, I thought that were going to come. And messiah was just anybody who, who rose up and got rid of the bad guys. Mm. Uh, but... The point is that there's going to be a good time. In fact, it has been a good time. We've got, got the Industrial Revolution. We've got the French Revolution. We did have an increase in democracy. But it, they say it's not going to last. Then you have, this, then you have the class. And it always works this way. You get the heroes arrive. So we've had messiahs. That's the point they're making. All these prophecies at the end of the world, it's already happened. 1830, 1840s, 1850s, um, great increase in democracy. We had great heroes, people arising in every country, helping the common people to, to get a better life. But that was never going to last for very long. It always ends up with a big collapse. But in answer to your, your sort of implied question, is it all doom and gloom? Um, I get great hope from the Book of Enoch, because in the Book of Enoch, it's only Sharapak got, uh, only one, only one city actually got destroyed. And that was enough for everybody else to say, this system is not working. And that's what I see happening now. From the year 2000 with the millennials, you see a whole generation thinking, this isn't working. But they're still going along with it, because what can you do? Mm-hmm. And my argument is, and based on what Kirby wrote, we're probably going to have some kind of a nuclear war. But it might only be one city gets destroyed. You only have to destroy one city for all the millennials and their children and their children who are living a hellish life to realize, look around them and say, this whole system does not work. Mm-hmm. It's like in the Second World War, when Hitler totally lost. His family like, decided we're not going to have any more kids. He completely yeah. destroyed the whole Hitler name. It's going to so undermine, nobody can take him seriously anymore. And I think that's what's going to happen. So I'm kind of hopeful on that way. I don't think we're going to have a Mad Max-style 
whole world, I hope not, destroyed. I quite fancy playing guitar in a giant spring. Yeah, yeah, that'd be nice, yeah. (laughs) Well, what I think will happen is the the great, the idiot great-great-grandson of the current generation of of space gods are going to, at some point... Because they've done it again and again in the past. I mean, I've hired in clearance this or something. At one point, they're going to kill some of their own people in a big way, probably with a nuclear bomb or something. And that's going to be enough to finally be the final straw for people to say this whole system is crap. That's a, that's a synchronicity. I, I literally, yesterday, just picked up a book on the Highland clearances. But oh, yeah. uh, just going back to uh, Enoch. Yeah. Um, Enoch is quite unique in the sort of biblical... Uh, list of characters because he's one of these guys who ascends he doesn't die he, yeah. they say that he walks with god is there any what's your interpretation of that well if you look at the originally on the um i can't remember his name now the sumerian one he's made he went to live with the gods i mean the gods were just the elites they would live on the mountains they would live further away they would live in the nice places basically they, they have because if you're in a desert the mountain's a nice place to be and not we're not talking like mount everest mountains we're talking higher where you get you get nice water you get nice rain they get the rivers you look down on everybody else i think it's just many way to live with them right <laughs> nice because you know? oh, this that's what happened in gilgamesh as well uh noah up the fished him um the one who survived they had to make a deal you don't talk about what happened and we'll give you a nice life you know that's how it always happens I mean, it, if, if, let's say the Amish Inquisition podcast goes tremendously successful, and everyone's following you, and they realise that the rules are awful, you'll find one day someone knocking on your door, and they'll give you a lot of money, and they'll persuade you, and they'll get some, make some very good persuasive arguments that you should join these people and become part of them, and you know, they will embrace you. And I think it'll be like that, and you'll say, in the years to come by, they'll say the Amish Inquisition podcast, it lasted till number 300, when they all went to live with, with Elon Musk, and, and they're all billionaires now. <laughs> And that's why we started it. We ascended, it. yeah. It's our path to ascension. Yeah, exactly. Sell out. I think that's what happened. <laughs> now then, um, one of the um, sort of interesting theologies you mentioned earlier was uh, Zoroastrian and the Yazidis. Now, this is a fantastic subject for me, and it was something that came into prevalence for us in the West. Was it during the Iraq War or was it during the Syrian conflict? I can't remember whether we were being uh, forced up that mountain. Mount Sinjar? I, I don't remember. Um, I just remember the, the, the Kurds in the draining the marshes. And they're not exactly the same people, but, I mean, it's very similar. It's like it's Scottish and English. And, you know, it's all, all the, I suppose the, the, the border people's more. What's so, the same what, kind of area. Yeah. What, what's so unique about the sort of the, the, the Yazidi culture and the sort of uh, the uh, theology that they are preserving and and why do you think that that is sort of like a precursor to the Abrahamic religions? Well, what I is amazing about it is that they wouldn't change. They're famous for having more genocides than just about anybody. Like every 10 years or 20 years, it seems like, the nearby powers will try and wipe them out. Now, normally, if you've got any sense what you do, if, if some gigantic superpower comes up to you and says... Uh, you know, change and and we'll give you money or I'll kill you. You change and and you know, it's the same thing's happening in China at the moment. Uh, you know, people argue about how badly are they treating the, the, the um, oh, the Uyghurs, Falun Gong, yeah, Uyghurs. Oh no, yeah, no, well, well, if, if the Uyghurs all agree with and them, anyone who doesn't agree with them, basically. Yeah, yeah, right. The, 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 the Yazidis are famous for they never they never gave in. I mean, they compromised as much as they could, and so they're constantly getting genocide. Is that a word? 
if you would survive. Because I think what it comes down to is their pride. They were there first. 110,000 BC, we moved out of Africa. We got to the, the crossroads where you can go to Europe or you can go to uh, Asia or you can go south, whatever. A uh, place called Haran. Haran means crossroads. It's, it's a very important place in the Bible. And right in the center there. And they actually made their capital a few miles off Lalish, I think was it called? Something like that. Anyway, and that's where they stayed. And this was their historic place. This, this is where their history went, right back to 110,000 BC. And 39,000 BC is when they really could expand into Europe. And they were very proud. This is our place. This, this is our land. And very simple. They weren't, they're not trying to push their ideas. I mean, it's only really luck that we even heard of their ideas at all, because it's very private. I think it's another thing about writing. We think if we spread writing around, then we get become more enlightened. I think the internet is proving that is not true. <laughs> Uh, Look at around, you get more and more people with a smaller and smaller sliver of what happened. And the way the ancients used to do it was you'd have a specialist and their family and their family, and they spent their whole life learning this stuff. And their pride was that they remembered it. They weren't trying to change it. They weren't trying to explore it. They were just trying to remember it and remember it and remember it. And in great detail, knowing the whole thing. It's very private. The outsiders weren't really allowed in. And these years have been doing this for whatever. Now, you could say the coincidence. The fact that their history matches up very neatly with all the great events of history from 39,000 BC, 110,000 BC, and then so on, 39,000 BC, and to the present. Coincidence, you know, maybe they've copied it. But it's because it also agrees with archaeology. It also agrees with Chinese records. It also agrees with Egyptian records. It's because it all fits together. And it's because the official version is so garbage. You know, as I say, I like the Bible because you look into it and you realize, look at what the, the official scholars are saying. You think that's just blatantly not true. I can quote you chapter and verse where that is not true. You're saying something not true. So the, the standard is not high, that's what I'm saying. So right. yeah, I, I'm concerned. I know I'm, I'm open to the chain challenger. I'm reading too much into the Yazidi records. Yeah, maybe I am. But they're no worse, I think, a lot better than the official records. But again, answer your question, what's special about them? They were there. They were the originals. They got there 110,000 BC and they stayed. Right. See, a lot of modern theological scholarship will say that the Yazidis came after, that, that it's almost a perversion or a bastardization of Judaism or Christianity or something like that. Oh, that, that, that is a, a classic argument, always. I mean, <laughs> I was thinking that this day, if I, let's say... Again, your podcast is super wealthy and powerful. And let's say that my book's going to be really successful and I can dream, okay? And I'm going really rich. And I think, how am I going to undermine you? How am I going to take over the, your podcast? So what I do is I, I create some rival podcasts. I show the, your podcasts that are kind of like mine. I say, you copied me. Prove you didn't. <laughs> and if I've got enough money and I can destroy enough of your records, eventually my story is going to be on the one that gets, that gets out there. Absolutely. Yeah, I, mean, I can't. I'm, off the top of my head, I can't remember the argument. I did have a couple of arguments. I was looking into why it was more likely that they were the original and, and not copied from. That's off the top of my head. I can't remember what the, the arguments are now. I mean, you uh, mentioned uh, Haran. Wasn't what? Didn't Abraham settle? In, did he move to Haran? Or was yes. no? It was heir of the Chaldees, wasn't it? And then didn't he yes. settle in Haran? Yes, yes, because that, that is the the great place you go to. That is the ancient crossroads of, of the world. Um, when Israel, well, when Jacob was renamed Israel, he went to Haran. That's what, when you have these, I think what, that was when he lay on the, the stone and had that dream, when he saw the ziggurat, 
which is the, the, the stairway to heaven. The way it's described, uh, my other new favorite podcast is called uh, A Podcast of Biblical Proportions. This is by a couple of Jewish guys, or one good Jewish guy now, who actually loves it. I mean, he's, he's an atheist, he doesn't believe it, but he loves the language, and he really loves the stories. He's talking about the, the description of the, that, that ladder to heaven, which it, it was a ziggurat. It was the thing that the, the space gods would stand on, the people like Gilgamesh, and look down on people. And that, so... When um, Jacob wanted permission to have his own land, he had to go to Haran. Basically, in his vision, he saw the rulers up on their ziggurats who gave him permission. So, yes, okay, you can do that. That's fine. And then he went and established the land of Israel. Off on a tangent, that's just kind of central to everything, our argument. It's important also to remember that Israel is a person and a people and a land. So that's how it always used to work. Adam was a person, a people, and a land. Uh, Britons, you know, the, the legend was there was somebody called Brutus. Yeah, yeah. The person, the from Troy. Yeah. Troy, yeah, there we go. Because but before people settled, it had to be that way. There was no particular one place you could point to, so that's where they live. It, it, was, it was a culture. It was like, these are my people. These, this is where we live. The people always went together. And this is where the confusion comes with Adam, because Adam was just the name for people. And it meant red earth. It was a people of the red earth. So you're not just talking about a particular individual. It's like if I said uh, ancient man invented fire. I'm not saying there's a person called Mr. John Ancient Man. There might have been. There probably was somebody who did invent fire at some point. So it's, it's a true thing I'm saying. But I'm talking about people in general. Mm. In fact, I'm talking about the kind of people who lived on that kind of land, so lived in that way. That's um, such a... When we read the Bible, we think these are individuals. They're not. We're talking about groups. Sorry? I was, that is such a great point because we know that it's true with Israel. That Jacob changed his name to Israel. He was a man and then a country, and, and but we just yeah. don't even consider it for the other names, yeah. you know, in these lists. Yeah. Some begot, begot, begot. Genesis chapter five is where you get all the dates back to four thousand BC. You know, yeah. stuff like Methuselah lived nine hundred sixty-nine years. If you start look at that, what the words actually mean, and remember they're talking about people, lands, and. Yeah, and um, and individuals suddenly realize you're not talking about a person living nine hundred sixty nine years. You're looking talking about a particular period of history, yeah, and all the dates match up in Sumerian history, and, and that's a phenomenon. This is uh, I, I, I originally trained to be a physics teacher. Uh, it was a long story. Then I found out I got autism, and I, I'm a crap teacher. I mean, I love the subject. <laughs> Teaching in the class is basically crowd control. You got a yeah. third of them there. It's a battle of wits. They do not want to be there, and I can't blame them. That's and the they always win. That's the point because against <laughs> me, I haven't got a chance. Anyway, <laughs> what they said was, if you teach for an hour and get one idea across, you're doing very well. I thought, what idea do I want to get across tonight? Because I always ramble. I thought I'm going to get lost. The idea I want to get across tonight is that people in the past knew the future and we've forgotten. They knew the past and they knew the future better than we do now. If you ask the average person in the street 200 years ago, how did the world begin? They say, uh, Adam, uh, the flood, uh, Tower of Babel. What about the future? Uh, Jesus is coming back. Mm. Okay. All those things, they're very rough approximations. If you go back to the original sources, they are the most important events in history. They are the founding, the first lords, the first landlords, the lord, the lord in the Garden of Eden. Garden, yeah. Um, 
the sound founding of 4000 BC, spot on. We've got the collapse of the first civilization, first modern civilization, 2050 BC, spot on. With the flood. Then you've got the, the attempt to have a world empire, which also collapsed because you just couldn't organize the, 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 the information. The Tower of Babel, spot on, exactly right. And then you've got the, the final uh, the triumph of the, 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 the era of the Logos, which the Christians said was... Oh, sorry, my alarm is going off. I need to water the plants. So shut up. <laughs> um, the era of the Logos, which Christians said, oh, the Logos is Jesus. No, the Logos meant logic. It was the era of logic. The era of logic, when the common man, which the son of man means common man, until the Christians change it again. It happened. The point is, 200 years ago, the average person in the street, the ordinary guy, had a better understanding of the past and the future because these things had happened in cycles. And I thought, this is brilliant. This is what mythology can do. They can teach the most important events in history so that everybody knows them, and they can teach you the most important events in the future. And the rough idea of the dates as well. And as you get closer to those dates, you can work it out more. I just think it's phenomenal. And then when the things actually happened, we actually have had the, the rise of logic. We have had the rise of the common man. People say, oh, no, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. These are not the droids you're looking for. <laughs> it's happened. Enoch said it would happen 6,000 years after Adam. 4,000 BC, uh, 6,000 years, 82,000, give or take 100 years or so. But the problem is, again, the Christians, you know, they, they'll untake the, the history and they'll try and use it to get power. And they say, we got the real history. And it's, it was a, a, a global flood. And uh, Jesus is coming back in the sky. And he's coming back on this date. And of course, none of that happens. And you say, so you throw the whole Bible out. I think, what garbage. But the original Jewish version is just the patterns of history that happened before and it's happening again. And it has happened. We have, you know, look around you. We've got the rise of logic. We've got the rise of democracy. And we've now got the collapse phase. It's all happened before. It happens again and again and again. And the big cycle is the 10,000-year one. One of the, um, the two um, sort of threads that were running through your book that I kept picking up on was the role of power and inequality. Oh, yes. Yeah, everything comes down to power. Again, that's what I think is so brilliant about Kirby's thinking. Uh, everything is power. Because um, tell us, because think about, because the way you describe it, you talk about the golden age. What we yeah. what we, we think of the golden age is like the, um, the age of heroes in ancient Greece or whatever. Yeah. But you've got a completely different take on what the golden age was. Yes, yes. You go back to Hesiod. Well, Hesiod said so. He Hesiod. said that there were two great... Um, strifes in, in history, in the world. Two strifes. One is uh, work, and the other is war. You know, if you've got to work, that tends to cause war, <laughs> uh, because if you work, you tend to own land, and the people want more land, and life's easier if you're working, if you've got more land, more resources, and that causes war. If you've got wars, of course, you've got to work, because you've got, you've got to create the weapons, you've got to go out and fight. Work and war. And he said there was an age, there was a time once, when we didn't have work. And that was defined as the golden age. Now, golden age doesn't mean that people are nicer. People are always horrible. People are always nasty each other. We're animals. We fight each other. We'll, we'll do. We'll knife each other. And that's why we need equality, because we're, we're nasty. We're not a nice species, I'm afraid. But as long as we're fairly equal, you've got a chance. I mean, it's time to get a good example of how it should be is the the Wendat people, otherwise known as the Huron, and how they they were once enslaved by the neighbouring tribes. But uh, this, is, this is North America, by the way, indigenous well, North yeah, America. Yeah, well, yeah I, I'm just sort of giving a quick phrase of um, the, uh, the Dawn of Everything, brilliant book by David Graeber and David Wendbrow. All right. And you want an example of how life it should be, the Wendbrow, sorry, the Wendat, the, the Huron, 
So, so the point is that they did have slavery. They've all bad some, but you, as long as you're fairly equal, with a bit of courage and working together, you can escape. You've got a chance. And they made a pretty nice life. They had a, a civilization covering thousands of miles. And when the Europeans came there, they couldn't believe how bad and backward the Europeans were. The Europeans were like little children. They were fighting and stealing. And they were really bad at arguing. And, and they were just... They went out, they had this, uh, these long arguments. You were saying about the, the, the um, Yazidis and how, you know, who's copied from who. Well, this is, as I said, this is a classic method. If you want to discredit your enemy, you, you say that, oh, it's just fiction, and they actually copied from us. What happened was um, when the Europeans found the Wendats, they found who's a superior civilization. Uh, you could go anywhere there, and people would look after each other, and you'd be fed. You know, it was just better. And they... Oh, I'm losing my train of thought here. Yeah, what happened was there were some books. There was a book in um, Explorations in the New World or something, I forget what it's called, in which in debates between the Hurons, the Wendat, and the Europeans, and the Europeans always came off worse. But that started the whole craze of fictional accounts of these sort of noble savages. And uh, because there's all these are fiction, the original true account then became... Um, lumped in with it. Said, oh, well, this original version, that was fiction too. Noble savages don't exist. Well, they don't exist. They're not noble. But they were free. And they were equal. And that's the point. And you know, the, the one that, that couldn't believe that we had to obey leaders. What? You're slaves. He, he said, this one that was saying to this French guy, you have to obey your, your ship captain. And he has to obey the king. You're slaves. Why do you want to be a slave? This is not a good way to live. He said, be like me. I get up when I want to. I go to bed when I want to. I do what I want to. The only rules I have is the spirit within me that sort of leads me. So I've got to be off the topic now. What were we talking about? No, that's fine. Um, Frank Kirby. Don't you give um, one of your examples of maybe the way we should be looking is going back to Mosaic Law? Oh, yes. Yeah. It's one of my little bugbears because everyone thinks Moses is being... Well, how do I start from this? I've got to give you a little... um, history of my life here, why I'm such a weirdo. <laughs> well, I was born as a Mormon, but I was also slightly autistic, which meant, and, and I was always top of the class at school, and I had an extremely good, high opinion of myself. In the Mormon church, they used to teach you could become gods, and we thought that was a great thing. So here I was, I thought, I'm the best, everyone loves me, um, I, I'm good at everything. Then at the age of 12, I discovered that people are starving, so at the age of nine, I discovered that people are starving, I became a worrier. And how can I be such bad in the world? And uh, I decided at the age of 12, I'm going to devote my whole life to finding out why it is and how I can fix it. You know, I'm precocious brat, you know. And I was very, very naive. Anyway, 20 years later, after a lot of studying, I finally found out the solution to all the world's problems. It's pretty simple, actually. It's a thing called land rent. If you read Adam Smith. Land Smith, rent. Yes. Because the idea is you don't steal. It, it, Natural resources, you didn't make natural resources. So you own whatever you add to it, but you didn't make those resources themselves. So any value you get from the resource, that belongs to everybody. If you can add value to it, that belongs to you. It's a very simple system. And, and the way you, you do that in a, in a complicated society like ours, you'd have a, a rent. Let's say you own land. Well, you're getting a certain unknown rent. Right? If I, I own some land now, if I go to bed and sleep and do nothing else, I can rent my land out and make money. Well, I didn't do that. I'm asleep. That much money, the, the unearned money, belongs to society. That's the idea of land rent. You pay that rent, rent equal to the value that you did not earn. You're keeping the rest. Anyway, Adam Smith pointed out this is like the best way to run the civilization. Had we done this, I mean, in answer to your question, Moses taught this. If you look, it's actually in the Bible. 
whole point of Moses is to get away from kings, leave Egypt, no more pharaohs, promised land, divide the land up between families. Every family has the same amount of land. And you pay about a tenth of it, or whatever, you know, whatever you didn't earn, you pay, and that, that runs as society. You keep the rest, no taxes. And uh, Adam Smith said this is the most efficient way of running it because you're rewarding people for creating and you're rewarding good governments. They get more taxes, they have a better world. Uh, if everything's rubbish, they get less tax. They can't just take your money. They can only take the amount which, which is the, the value of the land. If the value, land becomes more valuable because of good government, then they get more money. It's just, it's just a brilliant system. And anyway, what, 20 years ago, what really hit me was if we'd done this, what, what Moses taught, 600 BC is the usual date people give when the Bible is written. The internal date is 1400 BC for Moses. But let's say that the critics are right. Let's say Moses was fictional, didn't exist. It was written down in 600 BC, and we claim to believe it. Had we had that economic system, we would have had at least a couple of, say, 2% extra growth per year instead of what we had. Compound growth, 2% per year. If you had a $1 in 600 BC, today, with 2% growth every year, because you've got a decent system instead of this stupid thieving system we've had, today you would have, I think it was something like a thousand billion times the entire money, all money in the world, every year to every person. It's like ridiculous amounts of money. I mean, you can't count that much money. And that's, that's the person who's living on a dollar a day. Like just because compound growth is so amazing. And that's what got me thinking about Moses. I thought all this other stuff about Moses, who killed people, he, he believed in this, believed in that. It's unimportant. If he got that economic system working, everything else would work. It would be ridiculously good. So, yeah, I'm quite a fan of Moses. And you look at these. So one of my hobbies is when people say Moses was terrible, he was so sexist, he was so this. I go back to the original thing. What actually happened? For example, there's a famous case where he killed a lot of people because they had the plague. Because you're in the desert and you've got the plague and you don't kill them. Oh, this Everybody is the this is the forty year sojourn in the desert, isn't it? Yes. Well, that's the other thing. Moses never made it to the promised land, so all these laws are what you've got to do if you're surviving in the desert. Yeah. <laughs> it's a different world. Um, and the other point is, if you're rich, then you make your own laws anyway. It doesn't matter what the laws are. I mean, if I'm a billionaire, it doesn't matter what the law tells me. I've got lawyers, you know, who can make it. Unless you, unless you're really stupid, you can get away with anything if you've got enough money. Well, this is and the same with the tax system, isn't it? We know that the yes. richest people pay the least amount of tax or no yes. tax. You know, I remember yes. doing my tax return one year, and I paid more income tax than Facebook. Inc. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the point. If you get the economics right, everything else follows. So I think when people look in the Bible and say, well, Moses said this, Moses said that, it doesn't matter. If his economics was right, if everyone was equal, they'll, they'll work it out themselves. I mean, for example, Moses said, yeah, if you blaspheme your parent, you can stone them to death. Well, if you don't want to do it, if you've got enough money, you don't have to do it. You know, no one's going to stone me. If I'm a multi-billionaire, I ain't, ain't going to get stoned. How much um, does this come down to the sort of the concept of property ownership and building walls and things like that. <laughs> yes. I, I, by the way, can I say, I've got to say, I'm so impressed you read the whole book. I, I didn't think anyone would make it all the way through. It's like, you're know. like a kindred spirit, Chris. It's all my favourite subjects in one oh. book. Yeah, walls. Again, one of the previous versions of the book, I did start with walls because it's so dramatic. You know, people talk about the pyramids being this uh, spectacular things, that, you know, the biggest building in the world for a thousand years. That's nothing. 8,000 BC, that's when they built the Wall of Jericho and the Tower of Jericho. Biggest building in the world for 5,000 effing years. <laughs> I mean, half of our entire 10,000-year civilization, this was it. And that's not just any accidental position. That's the watering hole. You, when you leave Africa 
and you expand to the rest of the world, you've got to go right past Jericho. It's just this natural place. You go, that, that, that's the way you go. If you own Jericho, you basically cut off the whole world. You own the world. Yeah. And you can imagine people have never seen this before. You walk in, you're, you're migrating as you have for a thousand generations for millions of years. And one day you meet this great big wall. So I'm sorry, I never used to swear. My wife would be horrified. <laughs> She'd be laughing at me. She's trying to teach me to swear. It's one of the... I'm being a good Mormon boy, you know, I've never, never learned how to. But now I'm finding these wonderful words. Yeah, imagine you're migrating out of Africa and you meet this fantastic big wall. It's like 100 feet high and there's people on top of it shooting arrows at you. I'm like, what the? That changed the whole world. This concept that you could monopolize land. That's another thing I didn't put in. I, 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 so many chapters I wanted to put in. The zombie apocalypse. Most people don't realize the zombie apocalypse already happened, and we are the zombies. Yeah. <laughs> in 8000 BC, hunter gatherer was a much healthier. I've got a book here, I bought it in case I have to kind of brilliant book, Against the Grain by Professor James C. Scott, where he points out that when um, inventing a settled farming was really bad for your health. It became sickly people, and your brain shrank, and it was just nasty, nasty life. So hunter-gatherers were much stronger and more intelligent, but the farmers had numbers. If you had this wall, you could have 100,000 farmers all organized and they, and they could all be soldiers. So you had these sickly farmers in large numbers fighting these much healthier warriors, and of course the farmers would win. If they were the zombies. They, they, they couldn't think of themselves. They had to obey their leader, but there are so many of them, even though they're sickly and weak, they could just overrun them because you could have these massive, massive farms and massive cities. And, and again, this is a story of Gilgamesh. There's, um, oh, what's, what's a guy called? Uh, I'll come to you in a minute. Gilgamesh, if you know this story, there's a hunter-gatherer who's a big, massive, strong guy, free in the city, and there's Gilgamesh who, who claims to be big and strong, who realises he's got competition. People are realising this guy is actually stronger than you are, mate. So he, he entices... Um, oh, Enkidu, is it? Enkidu, um, yeah. Yeah, he entices him to come into the city. He said, look, look at how great the city is. Look at sex and lots of sex and food and sex and clothing and sex. And, and, and so he said, okay, I'll have the sound of this. I'll stop being hunter And at the end of the, the story, he dies of disease because that's the problem. If you get living in cities, you get more diseases. Mm. This is a city that gets designed to spread disease. Whereas if you're hunter-gatherer, you get a disease, you die, and it doesn't spread. Um, so, yeah, he realized it was a mistake. But the point was, it was, that was, that was an example of the zombie apocalypse. You become a zombie, you obey the law, you become a bit weaker and frailer, and, uh, but there's more of you, and that's why you win. And so the hunter-gatherers have been a constant decline ever since, even though it was a better life. Even though when people had a strength comparison, they always prefer the hunter-gatherer life. And even, even though statistically, hunter-gatherers had less famine yeah, but the problem was we, we forced them into worse and worse lands. And so what we see now is people trying to make a living in the desert. No, I don't like that life. No, no, you've got to think about living in paradise. That's the life they had. So, yeah, zombie apocalypse, it, it really happened. Well, we are the zombies, I'm afraid. Um, it's still happening. The, the, the very last original hunter-gatherers, like the Aka people, Aka people, wonderful. You heard the Akas, the Bayaka in no. the Congo? They're the world's greatest parents. They're, they're, their fathers spend more time with their kids than any other society. Uh, they're, they're fantastic singers. They have this great polyphonic singing they do every night. And it's just a, they're just laughing all the time. What a life. They're big news. Wonderful life. But they're getting squashed further and further into the jungle. And, uh, sorry, into the worst disease-infested parts of the jungle. So it's not a nice life. And uh, one by one, they just happen to give up and just become farmers. 
I think when the last, I think it's interesting when the last one dies, that'll probably be around about 2100. I think that's when everything's just going to collapse. Coincidence. But I think seeing from a distance, this whole 10,000 years has been killing off all the all the healthy people, all the golden age people, the ones who actually really didn't have to work. I mean, yes, they had to hunt, but we like hunting. I mean, yes, they had to sit around and, and mash their food together. People like doing that stuff together. They're having a good old chatter. All the things we pay money to do, they did for free. Jack mm. Kirby, for example, he wanted to have a, 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 um, a swimming pool in his house. Well, hundreds of years, thousands of years ago, we all lived near water. You get swimming anytime you wanted to. Everyone lived near water. You know, back in the days when we had the whole world population was 10 million, everybody could live in the best possible land, some beautiful paradise island somewhere. Um, I gave the example in my book of the, sorry, I'm really off topic here, but it's about power. Um, they, they lived, well, there was no power in the hunter galleries. I mean, you might have a head of a tribe, but the tribe's got about 50 people in it. You know, two people can kill the head of the tribe if he gets out of line. Yeah. It's a very, very flat society. Um, when, when we see a direct comparison between the two of them, it's always better there. Uh, my, my, the example I give is of the mutiny on the bounty, when you know, Britain, being the most advanced country on earth, was traveling around the world uh, trading, and the sailors came to Tahiti. Now, Tahiti was this sort of, lived the same way they lived for tens of thousands of years, and the sailors they said, their life is better than ours. All these naked women are laughing and sort of just sitting in the sun and enjoying themselves. And the, whereas the, the sailors with slaves on this ship, it's a horrible life being a, a press gang sailor. Mm. You know, and that's been a great problem. So again, why are we going on this? <laughs> oh, um, Chris, um, although a good chunk of your book is about how things are going to go wrong in the next, uh, well... Up to 5,000. Well, yeah, quite soon, if Jack Kirby is correct. Um, yeah, I was sure. left... I mean, he, might be wrong. he might be wrong, but he's never been wrong yet. Yeah, yeah. good point. But I was going to say, the book left me feeling very positive because, like, the last couple of chapters, you're talking about the nature of consciousness and reality and life, possible life after death and the nature of how quantum physics plays into consciousness and stuff. Oh, yeah. If there's one thing I'm quite proud of, that's the point. That's the one. Because everything else is sort of based on evidence. And, well, the evidence could be wrong, I could be wrong. But that was the one based on, on reason. Um, it just seems to me that's so obvious. A point of view has to be a point of view. If you've got... You know, there's been no mind conservative masters. But I have two lines of arguments from here. But it comes from Kirby. I mentioned how Kirby had no inner life. We I mean, had an inner life, but he wasn't interested in himself. He was interested in the outside world. Um, there's a lot of evidence, mounting evidence, that we don't have an inner life. It's, it's a total myth. I'm trying to see if I've got a book on my shelf. I may have put it away. Well, the, the nature of uh, the soul was invented by the Greeks, essentially. Yes, yes, yes. Although this particular book is on, um, that's called, called The Mind is Flat. All the evidence that there's very little going on inside our minds. It's all, there is no depth there. For example, when you're looking at something, you're actually only seeing that one dot at a time. And you can prove this experimentally. We think we're seeing the whole thing simply because we're sort of zooming around so quickly, 40 times a second. Oh, that's the, the bit rate, the bit rate of the human brain. Yeah, yeah. which is also the, the same. This is the fastest the brain can work. It's the fastest you can... Every language... Uh, I think your bit rate might be a bit quicker than mine, to be honest, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's average. No, you're probably faster than me talking, but... Um, it's that you can't go in two directions at once 
every decision at some point has to be one point because you can't have you can't decision can't be one thing and another. It has to be one thing. I'm going to go left or I'm going to go right. I can't go left and right at the same time. Yeah, you've got to nail the head of the serpent. As Ryan yeah, said, yeah. at some point, you break down every decision you make, the simpler and simpler points. You know, you sort of, what are you doing at 40 times a second? Everything has to be a single point. You, so consciousness has to be a single point. That's the theory. And then you got the practice. You actually look at what we know. Mind me very flat. Like I say, we don't actually see a whole picture. We only see little dots at a time. The amount of data you're, that passes through your mind is like 10 bits or something a second, maybe 40 at the most. Very, very little. Vastly less than the information that exists at a point in space. And that suddenly, that to me was suddenly everything made sense. Then, oh, what do you mean? What do you mean a point in space? Well, um, quantum physics, <laughs> or the standard model. Everything comes down to your, your, your fields. You got your electromagnetic field, your gravitational field. You got there's about fifteen or sixteen. People disagree about how many are, how you count it. It's electrical and magnetism, the magnetic two different fields or one field, and what we call particles are just twists and ripples in the field, so the field changes. That's everything. Physically, that is the entire universe. Everything can be defined. Now, and the, the smallest unit you can have is just the state of those 15 or 16 fields. You know, at any point in time, your electromagnetic charge will be a certain amount, the spin will be a certain amount, will be pointing in a certain direction. And that's the same for you know, the gravity uh, mass, for example, but you've got a high mass, you've got a low mass, whatever. Uh, at that point, and that def- that point defines everything. And so, relationship between these points that creates your fundamental physics, and that creates everything else that we see in the way we experience it. But ultimately, the, the smallest thing you can have is a point in space, which you can have you know, these these values, and everything flows from that. And so, there's there's a lot of data. You know, electromagnetism. Well, I can't even say it. Are you, if you asked me this 30 years ago when I just started on with physics, I would be a lot better at this. I can say. <laughs> Luckily, the kids were saved from my, my weirdness. And I would have loved them. to have you as a teacher, Chris. <laughs> but anyway, the point is, there's a lot of information in the point of space. Probably 100 bits of data, 1,000 bits, something like that. And that, you can't get less than that. Whereas in the human mind, you've got much less than that. So physically, I think theoretically, we, any decision has to come from a single point, ultimately. There's got to be somebody at the top of the, the, top of the mountains directing everything. And theoretically, observationally, it's a very, very small bit of information. So it seems to be, it has to be a point in space. So if it's a point in space, then well, when we die, it's simply that point in space changes. At the moment, my brain is, wherever this point in space is that I'm thinking, it's probably millions and trillions of me without realizing it. There's a person next to me doing the same thing. You know, because every atom is made of, you know, you get down to Planck scale. That's what we're talking about, the point in space, 10 to the minus 35 meters, something very, very, very small. So there's a lot of them. We are not what we think we are. We can't say when you die, it just means your brain is no longer feeding information to that point in space. It's no longer changing. But it still exists. We think of the brain doing a great thing because the brain is just trying to create a version of reality. Modeling. Why don't you just connect to it directly? The reason we don't connect to it directly is because we've evolved so these bodies have to survive. It's very difficult to survive, and that creates problems. Whereas if the bodies don't survive, we're just connected to the world. We're constantly changing. That's why one of my favourite Kirby characters is one of the, most people's least favourite. It's a guy called the Goozle Bobber. He's a guy who doesn't get... He's like a honey badger. He doesn't care. He just wanders through life and he changes. He's a shape changer. And he just does whatever he wants. 
And because of being a shape changer, it's like, yeah, don't mind, it might change, it might not change. That's interesting, everything's interesting. And he's rides everybody crazy around him, because around him, he lives in a ship where they're fighting for their life, where they're trying to save the world. And he's like, oh, well, this is fun, I'll fart a bit now, I think I'll go to sleep. <laughs> I'll go and... Uh, I'll, I'll go and surprise somebody. I'll, I'll go and visit the Queen. You know, I'll go and uh, do whatever I want. I think that's life. You know, the anyway, I, I need to prepare properly and then talk about this. I can go on now. It's I'm going to use up all the time. I just realized it's 20 past nine, it's at eight o'clock. I know. I, I, I have listened to some of your, your podcasts. I do know that you say, usually by this time, you start looking at each other and say, this has been a great evening and we've had our hour. <laughs> and then you... You know, you could get rid of that guy. <laughs> uh, Chris, I can, I can yeah. listen to you all night. Yeah. But, yeah, we do have to... I mean, there's, there's, there's you know, chatters going on in the chat saying that we should have you back for the next three, three episodes. episodes. Yeah, so... Uh, well, that's the thing that my book originally should have been 30 books. <laughs> every one of those chapters really needs 500 pages to expand it. And this is why I'm not that bothered it's got uh, typos in it and nobody knows about it, because... No one's going to believe it. I wouldn't have believed it. You know, it, it takes a lot more. It would take about 30 books, 30 sort of, to, to go into each section, why this makes sense. So instead, you just be sort of spouting off random stuff and bouncing all over the place. But then that's life. That's what the universe is. That's it, yeah. Bouncing around. Yeah. I've I've so I've enjoyed this so much. Yeah, me too. It's been good. You're going to have to come back. Yeah, we'd love to have you back again, Chris. Mm. I'll focus on, tell you beforehand what we're going to talk about, and I'll do some research. I quite like the looseness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, the life, the universe, and everything. That's yeah. it, yeah. Well, well, we, 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 never, we never mentioned Atlantis. No. No. Oh. That'll be the next one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just do some research around Atlantis. Yeah. That's a small story. Oh, Atlantis, yeah, because, uh, oh, I'm not going to spoil it. I'm not going to say like you no, know. No, no spoilers. No, I'm not saying where it is. I'm not saying where it is, Chris. No, we'll save that. <laughs> or, or which one it is? Well, oh, since writing the book, I was talking to a friend who's doing a lot of research on another area. Oh yeah, it's, it comes to this cycles thing. You got the Atlantis that existed for hundred thousand years. You got the Atlantis. No spoilers. <laughs> the second one's the one we hear about. Yeah, yeah, the second oh, yeah, one. Yeah. yeah. Um, this has been great, Chris. Stay on the line for us for a minute while we much, while we play yeah. ourselves out. The links are in the show notes. You can get the book for free, for goodness sake. You can download mm. it for free. There's a link for that. Um, you can get there's a link for the hard copy. I would suggest you get the hard copy just in case yeah, Jack Kirby's right. You know, it's good. And there's also a link for your your excellent hour long condensed um, sort of. Summary yeah, of the book. Five minutes and an hour. It's well, <laughs> I, within five minutes of watching that video, I was looking for the, how to order the physical copy because uh, there was so oh, much you. in it that it just lights, you know, it sort of gels with me. The subjects I'm interested interested in, and I'm sure a lot of people listen. Like there are some comics in there too. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Lots of comic book stuff as well, and I'm not a comic book <laughs> guy, you know. Well, I. Yeah. You are more. Yeah, I think I am. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I've read a comic. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay, we're going to close this bit out. We're going to be back in uh, 15, 20 minutes for part two for some news. And uh, we'll just say thanks, Chris. Thanks for joining mm. us. And uh, thanks for the better than that. Yeah, much appreciate, Chris. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Okay. See you soon, guys.
Right then, we're back. The dwarf, the cripple, and the mother of madness. That was our chat with Chris Tolworthy, author of. There's no, there's no. God, under his chair, Jack Kirby's History of the Future, 2026 to 3045 AD. Link in the show notes. You can download it for free. Free for free. You can download it for free. PDF or Word document, or you can buy a physical copy if you know you are concerned about the end of civilization. I think I'm going to have to read the book just to unscramble my brain. It's got good pictures in it. Yeah, there's uh, a selection. There's about a dozen of uh, Kirby's stories there in it, mm. and he sort of um, breaks them down and tells you what Kirby is telling you. Nice through the narrative. And um, honestly, it's worth the money f- just for the appendices. There's, I think, about 150 pages of appendices. Wow. Um, um, there's one on... Minimum. Uh, minimum amount of appendices that I require is 150. 150 pages? Yes, of them. Yeah. Yep. I think there's seven appendices. There's one on Enoch, one on Moses, one on Atlantis. There's one on... Um, he talks about the, um, the way scholars screw up history. And it's particularly focused on the Gospel of Mark. So if you're a New Testament scholarship nerd like me, that's fascinating how uh, he, he really has to go at Bart Ehrman. Bart Simpson. <laughs> yeah, who's a, a prominent got... New Testament scholar, and he, he basically deconstructs his arguments. It's uh, interesting. Interesting, because I, I got, like, audible... You get these, the great courses on New Testament um, theology and... Uh, Arguments about when it was written, who wrote it, and, and all this sort of stuff. And uh, it's good to hear Chris's point of view. It's interesting stuff. I loved it. Limp Dick City. <laughs> Sorry. So check out the links in the show notes. It's all there. Yes, do it. Yeah, okay. Um, well, I mean, what do we normally do now? I'm sort of, I mean, I'm still recovering. <laughs> but I know, my brain is just synapses going week. nuts. Are we doing some headlines? I think we should. Okay. Some belters. Some belters this week. Capital letters, a big news story. Headlines of the week. Matt Hancock app branded dangerous drug. An incredible review. Wow. What's incredible? <laughs> Did you even know Matt Hancock had his own app? I didn't know. No. no. Holy shit balls! It's been going since 2018. Wow. What? The Matt Hancock app. As former health secretary Hat Mancock is in the news for his participation in this year's I'm a Celebrity, Get the Fuck Me. <laughs> yeah, I'm a knobhead, get me out of here. Many will have forgotten about the app he launched in 2018. The official app from the West Suffolk MP provides updates from Hancock and his team on national issues and information for local constituents. Anyone can create a profile. It's like a social media app. Oh, wow. Uh, On the Matt Hancock app and interact with fellow community members. And many reviews of the Bizarre app have been written since its release. Would you like to see some of the reviews? Would I? Mm. My hero, Matt. From Matt Han underscore cock double O double six. <laughs> I had never known life before downloading this app. This isn't just social media, it is something beyond. Just that single notification vibrating your phone, knowing Matty Hancock will be at the face of your phone was just exhilarating. Every day I wake up, Matt Hancock. Every night before my slumber, Matt Hancock. <laughs> 
Waking up in the nightmare heat. <laughs> Hat Mancock is there to guide me back to a peaceful sleep. My world has been morphed into something so far beyond what our existence is worth. This app has well and truly structured how I see my past life, my present, and choose my future. I have transcended humanity. <laughs> and you too. You will too by downloading this app. I truly believe Hat Mancock is the new forefront of our lives, a guide to become the best version of ourselves we possibly can and strive towards a life so free and full of Hat Mancock. What is life, you ask me? Honest answer? I don't know anymore. I'm confused. No, I am intrigued. Mind broadened by the endless possibilities and outlooks Hat Mancock has given me. So thank you, beyond words, beyond our existence and beyond humanity. Hat Mancock. I mean, wow. Uh, that's compelling. Profound. Mm, absolutely. Old man used Pokeball. Five-star review. A life-changing experience. Whoa, it's me. I was at a low point in my life very recently, but Hat Mancock and his app were the lights that pierced the perpetual darkness, filling the black hole in my heart with love, passion, and, of course, the latest updates from Matt and his team. With the cutting-edge development team and all the game-changing social media innovations made by the app, it's no wonder that other like-minded individuals within the Hat Mancock community share similar sentiments as I. So thank you, Hat Mancock. Your app made me realise that my life is truly worth living. Truly a life-changing experience. Mm. I'm, just, I'm downloading this as soon as this podcast is over. Yeah, I mean, it sounds great, doesn't it? A disappointed vole. Better than religion. Oh, God. This app filled a void in my life that I never knew was there. And now I don't know if I can go back. It's a terrible burden to bear. The love of Hat Mancock is a dangerous drug. It makes you feel like the king of the world can lick your boots. Like you could wrestle a gorilla and throw him to Portugal once you're done with him. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but, but once you felt it, living without it, it's like watching William Burroughs threatening God with a shotgun while you lick... <laughs> while you lick broken glass off the rails of the Berlin U-Bahn. Oh, my God. Get this up! But only if you're prepared to submit, not just to the terms and conditions, <laughs> but to a new life. Welcome to Hat Mancock app. No, this is not your first day. <laughs> oh, there's more. No, that's it. That was the last. That was the first <laughs> oh, one. Wild. I had no idea that Hat Mancock had his own app. I no. didn't. Um, I only hope there is a Hat Mancock app now as well as the Matt Hancock yeah. app. <laughs> Do you know? I wonder how dear it is to get an app built for you. Not as much as it used to be if you farm it out to like India. Oh I yeah, imagine. yeah. Yeah. True. Uh, yeah. Maybe. Okay, let's uh, let's leave hat. Drawn paws. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I turn, What's up, Ben? I turn my beloved cat Orville into a drone because he loves birds. Everyone's horrified, but I don't care. Says Hitler. Whoa! <laughs> I mean, are that- you retarded? <laughs> <laughs> I need to know more. <laughs> You want to know more? Schematics. Show me what you got. 
A man has turned... <laughs> Schematics. Oh, my God. I went to this guy's website, man. <laughs> Fuck. A man... A man has turned his beloved dead cat Orville into a drone because he loved birds, and he doesn't care if it, people are horrified by it. Bart Janssen... Amazing. ...has taken... <laughs> has taken grieving the family pet to new heights by turning them into levitating toys. The Dutch taxidermist turned his dead cat into a remote-controlled drone known as the Orville Copter. (laughs) The half-cat, half-machine was made to honour Orville, who was run over by a car in 2012. Hmm. Janssen told 24 he immediately knew, as soon as he had Orville's body, that he wanted to do something with it. I was going to make a point out of his untimely death, he told the broadcaster. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Troopers, <laughs> we just received new orders. <laughs> so in what can only be described as a truly weird move, Janssen took Oval's dead body apart, <laughs> stuffed it, <coughs> and fitted it with four high-powered propellers to make it fly. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, podcast audio listeners only, but I've just thrown a picture. How awful. Of the awful copter. It looks yeah. like he's having a great time. See it in the Discord. Holy oh, shit. Link in the show notes. Mm. Podcast landers, there's a link in the show notes if you want to see this guy. Look at all those onlookers. Green, mm. oh my God. Oh, awful. Janssen has since launched his own animal drone company called Copter Company and had made a living out of turning the family pet from hamsters to ostriches and sharks into creepy flying machines. Sharks. There he is, that's it. That's oh. the man, that, there's Bart. Oh, my God. With his first creation, the awful copter. Do you think that's... Do you think the cat was run over, splayed like that, basically, and then he just thought, I know. So I just put a propeller on each paw... <laughs> I think he's done quite a good job of the taxidermy. <laughs> it looks shit on it. it does, it? Have you ever, uh, like, browsed eBay for Oh, taxidermy? yes. Because <laughs> some of them just look so fucked up. <laughs> it's like, I want to buy it because it looks so fucked up, but it, it, that's incredible. It looks like a real-life cat. Yeah. With propellers for paws. It mm. does. It, I, who's controlling it there? Is that The our, man on the right. Yeah, is, isn't that our friend? Jimmy Somerville. <laughs> yeah. No. Comatan. It, uh, no, Com- I think Comatan wrote that first review about... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> about Mancock. I have transcended humanity. That's <laughs> <laughs> the gerbil. The, oh, ha- the hamster copter. Yeah. That's, That's nice. Yeah. That's a nice one. <clears throat> it's tough to do small ears, taxidermy. Yeah. You don't think they're just, like, leathered? Maybe. I'd have to get leathered to... Mm. <laughs> oh, well, now, to your point, Ben, I didn't see this in the small print. Customers have to taxidermy their pets before sending them to Janssen. Oh. Yeah, you don't want a corpse in the post, do you? <laughs> well, you don't, do you know? Do you? No, why would you put a corpse in? Oh, well, Dharma might. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. Who then goes about turning them into drones... Janssen, who works as a solar panel engineer for his day job, even built a helicopter out of a cow. I don't have the picture. <laughs> now I've got the ostrich one. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> that is excellent. Do you, think, do you 
you think they like he did a cat and then he did a mouse so he, the cat could chase the mouse in the air and the bird? I, I, it seems logical that that would be the way to go. I don't think logic has been applied here. Do you remember that Gunther von Watsey who did all the dead bodies and and yeah, plastination? Yeah, did you go and see that Gunther yeah. von Groschenslong? Yeah. I saw it yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Was it in Liverpool once? I think it was in Liverpool. Was it? In, I might have seen it in London. I saw it somewhere. It was crazy. I think this is going to be the next the next thing, sort of racing with dead animals. <laughs> well, it seems the Dutchman now wants to find animals big enough to fly in. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God, you'd have to create something. He says... An elephant. If yeah. I'm going to fly, I was to fly something weird. So we've been thinking about animals that are big enough to fly in. Whales. Yeah. A whale will do, won't it? Yeah. Uh, elephants. Yeah, blue whale. Good shout elephant. there. One mat to another mat. Right, a small... I don't know, a large rhino. A large rhino, Yes. I went to his website. Um, he's not just taking on aeronautics. He has a badger submarine. Of course, he does. For and what goes in the sub, what goes in the badger mice again? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that needs to happen. Little mice pilots. And the sea is always right. <laughs> the badger is always the badger right. is always in the sea. Mm. <laughs> um, oh, sorry, faders down. What are you clicking there? I don't know. Because I can smell whore. I can yeah. smell whore. You probably smell the cat. Yeah. Um, is he? Has he got plans to sort of apply his own? Uh, you know, use his own dead body <laughs> after he's uh, shuffled off the mortal coil. Yeah, he would have to say like the skateboard. Send me off to a taxidermist. Mm. Return me to my engineering workshop, mm-hmm. and then you can make me into what hovercraft. Well, no, a drone, and then you could put in some coordinates, and just it'd be like a. A modern Viking funeral, he'd just go off into the sunset. Yeah. Set fire to shoot a, a flaming arrow yeah. into his corpse. His flying corpse. <laughs> just if he flies, it flies himself into some power lines. <laughs> I, won't, I won't put it past Bart Janssen. Bart Janssen, <laughs> you are welcome on the podcast. Mm. Oh, good shout. Yeah, it'd be a good one, wouldn't he? Yeah. Would he? <laughs> no, probably. It's <laughs> all right. No. Bison has been paid out for his crimes. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, dear. Right, let's move on. Headlines. Mm. <coughs> We've done drawn pause. Mm. Man discovers nest of world's largest spider in boot of his car <laughs> with 200 babies. Why were those babies in there? <laughs> Fuck! How do you get 200 babies in a boot of a car? Oh. Daz boot. Taxidermy. Mm. <laughs> oh, oh my god <laughs> you said it Ben it's gone dark yeah okay spider apocalypse Jared Splat <laughs> fake news moving on <laughs> no because we're living in the matrix it's uh this is the way the world works it's like AI news this now <laughs> Jared Splat was cleaning out his car when he discovered the huntsman spider one of Earth's biggest arachnid species. He was horrified when met by a giant huntsman with an egg sack on its left-hand side. Ooh. I've got a picture, actually, have I? Here we are. Here's the huntsman. There it is. Yeah. It's not that big. Uh, they're fucking... My missus said she saw them and they were like, the size of your... Yeah, they're pretty big. Your uh, 
that there. What country's this in? Don't say it's Hulk or somewhere. Huntsman's are native to Australia. Australia. Oh, yes, of course. All right. So, uh, a, man fell the w- a man found the world's largest spider nest in the boot of his car in a gut-wrenching discovery. <laughs> <laughs> Jared Splat had agreed to give some friends a lift and was clearing out his car when he discovered the Huntsman spider, one of Earth's biggest arachnid species. Did he go for the lynx? Lynx can and... Uh, oh, it's better than that. Oh. <laughs> it's better than that, otherwise we wouldn't be talking about it. I mean, that would be my move, if yeah. that's all I had on me. Mm-hmm. A can of Lynx Africa and a lighter. Mm-hmm. And just, uh, yeah, kill it with fire. Mm-hmm. <sighs> he said, I encountered the horrific side on opening my car boot, which incidentally hadn't been opened in a good while. I was cleaning out the car to drop some friends off to a winery... And now I'm glad I opened the boot. <laughs> I was greeted with a giant huntsman spider, an egg sack on the left-hand side. My initial response was revulsion, but then seeing the bloody thing guarding the egg sack took it to another level, mate. <laughs> the female huntsman produces a white egg sack of papery silk, mm. carrying up to 200 of her young Tell me about that paperish silk again. Sounds nice. It's a white egg sack of paperish silk. Mm, pa- carrying 200 huntsmen. silk. Mm. Mm. Mm, yum. Mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> no. Do you see this shit? Whew. Where was I? Paper the winery. Paper sack. Paper sack. 200 of the young. Faced with the prospect of being overrun, Mr. Splat. Lived up to his name. Oh, no. Uh, the boot. The 39-year-old said, oh, I was fairly grossed out and shocked. <laughs> What's that? Feedback. So it's, 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 it's train. The, it's the, it's the, train. It's yeah. the, Is it Hogwarts Express? <laughs> it's the nuclear hell, it's waste like train. Oh, it's the nuclear waste train. Oh, that's all right then. It's really, yeah. a really loud one. I was fairly grossed out and shocked. At first, with the egg sack, I thought... Oh, that's cute. He's got a backpack. <laughs> then it dawned on me what he was. The realisation I could have hundreds of baby huntsmen crawling through the car quickly turned into an annihilation mission. He well, continued. You know, pick it up with a piece of tissue paper, move it, moving onto a leaf or something. The old, uh, the old pint glass and envelope trick. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, I, it, no, it won't fit in a pint glass. No, it... you'd, you'd chop its legs off. Oh, I'm probably exactly. burst the sack. Ooh. Oh, you then release the half developed spiders. Oh shit! Sorry, I should have. Sat, I threw the picture of the fucking huntsman up without saying. We should have given a trigger warning for that. All oh, right. So you know, but some people a picture of a giant spider will freak them out. Yes. Like fuck. Well, sorry. Apologies. Mm. Uh, he continued. I grabbed the can of mortine and went to town. Scorched earth like Les Grossman and Tropic Thunder. I flicked it off the car, covered it in the white chemical death, and then promptly stomped on the egg sack. Some green goop shot out. Jared, Jared, no. Someone approved of his actions, but it wasn't the most extreme solution he considered. He said... The result may not please the spider lovers, but can you imagine hundreds of huntsmen's crawling throughout your car? Uh, yeah, no thanks. I'd rather torch the vehicle if that happened. 
Jeez, what was that about Lloyd Grossman? Yeah, that was his plan. Um, Tropic Thunder, the guy from Tropic Thunder. Not through the keyhole. No. Um, <laughs> what did uh, the Vic Reeves sing? <laughs> you know, when he's floating around the tables with the, the, the giant cranium mm-hmm. and the long... His fingers have got spoons. <laughs> no, I was going to say, that's through the keyhole. Who would live in a house like this? Mm. That's it. Where is he now? He made some sauces. Anyway, I don't want to get sidetracked. I say, well, you know, um, Grossman's chicken sash chasseur. It's a pile of shit. Don't buy it. Make your own. <laughs> Lovely. Chasseur. Um, chicken shoes. Chicken. I'm say, or hair. Or horse. <laughs> Before we uh, move on to the housekeeping, I think it's important that we recognise... Um, the uh, positive reaction we've had from last week's podcast from the sheep farm community. Mm. Would you not concur? Yes. I would say so. Oh. Oops, some oh. buttons. Just talk, talk amongst yourselves. No, I'll, oh gosh, right, okay. Do I have to talk and do the thing and... I'll do Would you like to oh. comment on the sheep farm thing? Um... I was I was blown away by the reaction we had. We got like loads of uh, positive comments, subs, mm. views yes. through the roof. Yes, views, uh, subs. Thank you very much to all those who uh, who listened in and uh, told us what they think. I was getting like disenchanted over the last couple of months. To be honest, folks, I was yeah. like, um, oh, I was going to say we we seem to have been kind of stagnant. Nothing was happening, like, uh, we weren't growing or uh, sort of gaining any traction. Obviously, the algorithms don't help us or anything like that. And it really gave me a lift last week to Mm. see that there was all these people coming forward from the sheep farm guys Mm. saying, wow, this this looks cool. (laughs) I'm going to listen to you for a bit and see if I like it. Mm. And that's why I do this. Like, I'm not interested in notoriety or the financial stuff or anything like that. My thing is, like, I think, like, look what we did with Chris tonight. Mm-hmm. I think that people will benefit, you know, some certain section of people will listen to Chris and think, fucking hell, that's interesting. And it might spark them to uh, embark on a new area of research or a new area of reading. And it, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, and it'll broaden the horizons in some sense. And I think that we do that fairly consistently, consistently with a lot of the guests. You know, we have interesting people come on. We do. And it's not just for the benefit of people out there in, in podcast land or YouTube land. I think it impacts us as well. Mm. It's like, you know, you've I know that you've been looking into sort of Atlantis and ancient civilizations and stuff and mm-hmm. Younger Dryas and whatnot. And, you know, would that have happened if you weren't doing this podcast? Probably not. Probably not, no. And I would have been poorer for it. <laughs> Absolutely. Emotionally no, and mentally. It's what makes life interesting, <clears throat> these sort of things, you know. The problem is we're so, in our current societal paradigm, we're so beaten down by the the Jack, current the mechanisms of the man. Well, yeah, it's the work. Most people work so hard, they don't have the time or the energy or the mental mm. resources to even think about stuff like this mm. because the life is revolves around work and family and we all have we all have kids we know what it's like we've got fucking beavers and fucking ninja lessons and all the rest of it it's like mm. 
Life's busy, you know. It is, it is, man. So um, I think this is really good. Mm-hmm. The fact that we have this time, one time in the week, where we can just sort of sort of get lost in sort of interesting topics and stuff. So. It is, it is, I agree. And I felt like we're, you know, in recent months, we've sort of, you know, we didn't seem to be getting anywhere. And uh, so it gave me a real boost psychologically to see that there was all these people coming from the sheep farm lot saying, this looks interesting to me, you know. Yeah, it's good, so. yeah. New, new ears are always fantastic. Yeah. I, uh, they give us a, I was um, watching the live stream. They did a live stream last night. Mint sauce. <laughs> the, li- <laughs> the latest mint sauce. And uh, this is the problem, you see, sheep uh, farm guys, Dom and Chris. You see, once we start meeting, there is a risk that I'm going to start clipping you. <laughs> oh, God. Isn't there? I clipped Charlie Robinson. Mm. I'm going to clip you as well. And uh, anyway, I'll talk this one. Uh, got yeah. Julian Beards, I would call them. Um, yeah. Uh, nice part. Nice like interviewed by ZZ Top. <laughs> They've got yeah. luxuriant beards. Luxuriant beards? Luxuriant beards. Oh, you, no. you can't say fair than that, can you? No. Thank you. I mean, I'll take that because I don't think my beard's luxuriant at all. No. If anything, it's a bit thick. I usually keep it uh, tidier than this. Not like this fucking yeah, filthy Scythian. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Proud of it. <laughs> uh, Matt Apocalypse wants to know where your beard is, Matt. On my fucking back, man. <laughs> no, yeah, it's, not, it's not on his face. <laughs> <laughs> she a py- Pyrenean, is it? Pyrenean. <laughs> What's the, uh, the the taint? The bit the, between the, uh, the, the sack, the sack, and the uh, yeah, that's the fucking... chocolate starfish. What do they call that bit? That, what it's called the braided smelly bridge, isn't it? Right. <laughs> the really nice bit. It feels really nice when it gets tickled. Yeah. Oh god. Oh look, there's loads of sheep farm people coming out of the woodwork now. Ah! <laughs> right. Oh, right. That's nice. Ah. Mm. Oh, I just thought it was important to to recognise um, how positive an impact it's had. Yeah, thank you, and welcome to all you new listeners out there. Yeah. Excellent. Right, let's do some housekeeping. 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 This is a Value for Value podcast. If you find this podcast valuable, please consider returning some value. I need to sl- I need to slow this jingle down so I have time to speak in between my my wicked singing. It'd sound weird at half speed. <laughs> First heard Phil on my family thinks I'm crazy. All mm. oh, right, Richard Moore is blocking the. I can't see his surname. Richard Morris. Morris. <laughs> Richard Morris. Richard Moore twenty two fourteen twenty five. We like Mark. Um, I I've been listening to a lot of uh, my family thinks I'm crazy recently. It's an it's an excellent podcast. He puts a lot of effort into, like, not like us, <laughs> into, like, the editing to make it, like, a... Sound nice. Do you remember Polish. when podcasts first started? And Well, I suppose they're the same now in a lot of ways, and they're highly polished and edited and and shit like that. And Mark, Mark does a good, good job of that without making it overt. You know, he just... He, he constructs it nicely. Mm-hmm. And he, he has loads of great guests, you have to say. Right, housekeeping. Right, how do you stop being a listener and become a producer of the Armist Inquisition? My favourite way of becoming a producer, as always, is word of mouth. Spread in the word. Maybe you're in a, a Telegram channel or a Discord server or a Facebook group, whatever it is. If you can uh, share links where you think they're relevant for the YouTube or the uh, Spotify or the 
Apple podcast episodes. That all helps. It all helps, uh, gain, you know, get us uh, a bigger audience, spread the word, get people thinking outside the box. You know what? It's an open goal. The mainstream media is just dropping the ball. They're pumping out all this shit, and people are craving for meaningful, intelligent stuff. And uh, I think in a small way, we can help people. We can provide that for some people. So uh, post links, spread the word. Yeah, leave us a review on your your podcast platform of choice, and uh, we'll read it out live on the uh, on the Amish Inquisition. Yeah, we like reviews, don't we? We do. We do. And if you if you if you're posting a review, because like a lot of these sort of uh, dedicated podcast podcast apps, like Podcast Addict. If you relieve, fucking, I can't speak. If, if you, you leave a review, if you relieve a review <laughs> on there, we don't see it. So uh, send us a copy. Email it is to the arms inquisition at gmail dot com, and yeah. uh, we'll read it out. Yeah, I'll try. if, if yeah. it's positive. That used to be my job, didn't it? Yeah, reading out reviews. Um, but I like it when people join the Discord. Um, you know, and I get to say hello with a jiff. Uh, Bill uses a, uh, uh, a Star Wars, normally Star Wars GIF. Um, ben doesn't say hello because he doesn't bother with Discord. I, I went on Discord this last week. Did you? Yeah, I posted two Your emojis. quarterly... Uh, Quota. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and when you join a Discord, you can do lots of different things. You can... That's a thread for everything, isn't there? Everything. Um, you can uh, produce producer intel. Um, send news articles, videos. Um, if your cheese depleted, even holy shit, focus cheese request. You could oh. ask for a focus cheese request free of charge. We should explain because there might be folks from the sheep farm crew who, nice. who are hearing this for the first time. Mm. So, if you're in the Discord, and you can send this to the email as well if you want. But let's say you've got a job interview coming up. Uh, maybe you're suffering from a health condition mm. in the form of depleted chi. Mm-hmm. Maybe you've got a big presentation to do in front of the guys in the office. <coughs> you know, yeah. a PowerPoint. In Australia. <laughs> yeah, mate. And you need some inspiration. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever your reason, if you, if you need some help, you can send a request and request some focused chi. And we, as a community, will focus our chi. Energies. Chi energies. Mm. Towards you for your given aim, and it's got a good jingle. Uh, yeah, it gives us the excuse to uh, play a funny jingle. Well, I mean, where do you generally focus the chi, Matt? Uh, the prostate for the men. Prostate for the men. Prostate for the men. I am going to aim for the prostate in the men. There we go. Yeah. Where do you aim for? Just a scattergun approach. Arsenal! Arsenal. In the Arsenal. You go, you go Spider-Maning, don't you, Ben? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, there, and everywhere. Well, you know. The sea is always right! Absolutely. Helicopter that shit. The sea is always right! <laughs> so look, Helen, Helen from the Discord and Helen from the Troy... Um, confirms that she works. There we saved her a hospital admission like week a couple of weeks ago. It's got a hundred percent success rate. <clears throat> 40% the focus the chain. better than the NHS confirmed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely better than some certain uh, 
arm spears that have been going around the last couple of years anyway. <laughs> um, what else are you doing in the Discord? There's a Matt Hancock app support group. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we really? Share, share oh yeah! Posts. Yeah, it's called uh, Limp Dick City. As is, yeah, yeah. LDC. Um, guest suggestions. So we get some crackers in there, don't we? Had a good one from Helen this week for a certain scholar, and um, the scholar in question is a fucking ghost on the internet. I can't find an email or anything. I'm going to have to email a university to try and get contact. With it. Wow, Just tried but that before. Someone who's written, written, written. <laughs> Someone who's written extensively on the Knights Templar, which is another one of my favourite uh, pet mm. topics. So, yes, that one is in progress, Helen. Thank you for that one. Because we only have three pairs of eyes and ears to see, you know, what's mm. cooking and who we should get on the podcast. So mm. it helps to sort of crowdsource who comes on the podcast. Yeah. You know? mm. yeah. So every week we get someone who, well, oh God, that sounded horrible. Sometimes we get people who approach us. Yeah. Yes. And uh, But that's not often. Mm-hmm. So we need uh, the people, the folks out there listening to uh, clue us in. Who, who's uh, doing interesting work, putting interesting stuff out there yep. who, who would be worth talking to. Um, you, you, sort of, you kind of skipped over the, um, the news articles and video clips and stuff. That's an important part. Of uh, being a producer, if you if you find a wacky headline, yeah, you know maybe maybe you're a member of the World Economic Forum, <laughs> and you see something in the email. What do you call them? Circulars. They, oh, they put an email out like every month. The WEF. I know. You sign up. Yeah, I've signed up. Yeah, for the email. Yeah, yeah. I'm not paying twenty six grand a year to be a member of the World Economic Forum. <clears throat> it's tax get- deductible. <laughs> Right, okay, Probably. so, right, so, what's that, so, yeah, so, if I earn 75 grand, then that 26,000 will be tax deductible, wonderful. Matt Hancock will come on your 400k, come on, <laughs> I read that wrong, didn't I? Mm. Come on for 400k. How much for Hancock's ex-wife? That might be an interesting Ooh. podcast, it'd be a bit serious and... I would imagine there's couldn't a talk few, about aliens or anything. I imagine there'll be NDAs. yeah. NBA yeah. City. Yeah, man. For like 50% of his future earnings. That Matt Hancock's dead cat. <laughs> oh, my God! <laughs> That's um, my favourite sound at the moment. It's good. Is that yeah. how much he's allegedly being paid to go on uh, I'm a Celeb? <coughs> I don't know. It starts tonight, doesn't it? Apparently. Really? Who, who watches it? Does anyone watch I'm a, I'm a Nobber Get Me Out of Here? No. I'm sure some people do. Who? They won't put it on. The zombies, man. That's what I mean. Well, yeah, they are, aren't they? Yeah, bots. Man. Maybe yeah. it's just bots. <laughs> NPCs, the millennials call them. Ah, uh, NPCs. Mm. Yeah. What's you... that sound for? Non-playable New police clients. constables. Yeah. Non-playable characters. Yeah, there's a lot of them floating about, man. Yeah. Um, what else can you do? Um, you could merch. I was just about to say that. <laughs> what? You so. could buy an Amish Inquisition uh, hoodie. Oh look, what, what I've got here: the bacon nuts t-shirt. The bacon nuts t-shirt. How beautiful is that design from Lee? Mm. This is a, a reference to the episode we did with Robert Frederick, all about Francis Bacon, he and he kept saying he was a bacon nut. Yeah, when you become a bacon nut. 
So guess what? We've got a picture with a pig with massive balls. And yeah. that's bacon nuts. Absolutely. Mm. And shielded from inflation. I noticed the price has not gone up at all, despite everything wow. being fucking mental at the moment. Um, that's because that is an old screenshot oh, from six months shit. ago. Sorry. So, Have you been on the website? Take that back. No, I, get, I just get my news from here. <laughs> all right, okay. But let's get the, the, the bacon nuts mug. A mug. Three weeks to flatten the earth, the UFO T-shirt. Oh, nice. That is yesterday's prices, so that is twenty-two ninety-eight. That's fresh. Wow, that, I mean, that's like cheap, it. isn't it, really? Fuck, fuck, fresh. That's quality as well, I like it. It's a great design from Lee. Yeah. We've got the... Uh, oh, this is my favourite hoodie. What is it? Literally a communist hoodie. Because I'm literally a communist. I work for work. Work for work. £33 were not Freemasons. No. <laughs> no. That's just the conversion rate. It's because the pound sucks nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Bacon nuts. Yeah. What else have we got? Oh, we've got the uh, the original uh, logo. Yeah. Classic. The classic one. Classic tea. 21 quid. I mean... Uh, you can't go wrong with that, no. can you? I got 21 pennies to go. Even if you want 5XL, is it the same price? Yeah. 5XL? Imagine, I mean, you could live in that. <laughs> You might have to soon. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Oh Show my me god! What you got. <laughs> oh my god! Is that bad? No, they can't. This was the vice chair's here. I take charge. Yeah, it's me. Come on, Jackie Weaver. Mm. Oh god! No, don't come on, Jackie Weaver. I didn't mean to say that. Sorry. No, she had started her own podcast. Yeah, oh, I've forgotten about it till now. Yeah, well, I think the world should forget about Jackie Weaver. To be honest, mm. it's just depleted my chi. Yeah, I feel I feel limp mm. in the chi department. Dick limp dick city. Save Blockland. Um, is there a- Alwick, Alwick. Oh God, God, we're dragging out the fucking flex housekeeping this week, aren't we? Your creative muscles. If you uh, if you're in the Discord, there's a thread there for show artwork, or you can email it to us at the at gmail dot com. We have new show artwork every week. Um, no submissions this week, so I just rustled this one up off the YouTube. Kapow! Look at that. That it's isn't Chris Tollworthy, by the way, but you know it's Jack Kirby. It's J.K. Come on, man. Rowling. Uh, I've got there some. You go. You've got the Eternals there. Mm-hmm. You've got new gods. Pyramids. pyramids, new gods. Honestly, there's there's lots of esoteric stuff going on in Kirby's um, artwork. It's really interesting. I, I think like the, I think this guy was like Shakespeare, not the guy from Stratford. I mean, the guy who really wrote Shakespeare. Uh, this is um, a polymath who has an immense um, historical literacy. Mm. He understands mythology. Everything, linguistics, anthropology, uh, is wild. It's wild to see. It's like Shakespeare. Like the the guy from Stratford, um, had to know ancient Greece, Greek, ancient Rome, architecture, astronomy. He had to have a massively wide knowledge to be able to compose the plays that he did, classical languages. Um, and there's no evidence that that guy from Stratford wrote them other than three signatures. So you're saying that it was <coughs> Shakespeare was the Stan Lee of the of the age for what reason though? 
Why? Why did they? Why did they put the actor from Stratford into that position? Shits and giggles. Yeah, it's like chess. Mm. I've seen uh, Jason and the Argonauts. Sure, that's how it works. I've seen Harry Potter as well. Well, oh yeah, I did. Ron, Ron, get, Ron gets chopped down when he's on the. Orc. Have you seen the, the musical Chess? Was <laughs> <laughs> that by um, the Abbott guys? Oh yeah, I think one of them did do a do a Bjorn part of it. Bjorn again, <laughs> Bjorn and Bjorn again. Benny, one of them, one of them. Agnetha, no, no. I think well, it was one of the boys. Um, any other ways to become a producer? Because we're dragging this housekeeping out to a horrendous <laughs> a length of time. Well, if we said that birthday <clears throat> shout-outs, <laughs> can give a birthday shout-out. I like saying, week? you know, if I have a chance, I want to say. Happy birthday, Hugh Janus. Yes. If it's someone's birthday, but we haven't got any birthday requests this week. No, shame. No. It's someone's birthday, somewhere. Um, you can also, you know, just straight up toss us a coin. Mm. Toss a coin to your witcher. Absolutely, do it for the lads. Lads, lads. No, because, like the Sheen Farm boys. Housekeeping. <laughs> we're northern. Oh, we're northern and we're bloody miserable and the weather's fucking shit. Yes. You like that, didn't you? That little impromptu fuck up. <laughs> no, it's amazing after, you know, a bottle of wine, how loose you can get on the uh, I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often, you know. What, a misfire on yeah. the soundboard? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It should happen all the time, shouldn't it? It should. That's not! But, you know. Ooh. Yeah, you can um, go to armistinquisition.com. You'll find a PayPal button there. You can give us a one-off donation, sign up for a monthly recurring sustaining donation. Donations at the level of £50 or over in your selected regional currency, whether that be dollary dues or Canadian core books or pounds sterlings, will grant you the rank, the status, the... Cachet. Cachet, the esoteric... The level. Level. The of, number. <laughs> of executive producer for that episode. Mm. It looks shit hot in your curriculum vitae. You're, you're not getter. Uh, what's the swipe thing? LinkedIn. No. Oh, you swipe Tinder. right. Oyster card. Tinder. Tinder. Yeah, your Oyster card. <laughs> or your Tinder profile. Or your curriculum I mean, VTA if you're lying. If you become yeah. a producer, you can link to us on LinkedIn. Yeah. Well, I imagine. Imagine what benefits you would achieve from that in your day-to-day oh, whoa. life. These credits... These credits are real. Mm. Like, if you go down to the show notes, there'll be a list of producers for the episode. These are real. We will back you up. You can put this on your CV, podcast producer, for this episode. It's real. Your continuing professional development. Exactly. (laughs) CPD, man. Absolutely. In the arsenal. 50 points. Only you fuckers can save Blockland. And keep the shit show going. Yeah. All right. So, speaking of the producers, I think it's about time we thank them, isn't it? We should. So, big up there, fucking Mandems. It's yeah. time to big up the Mandems. Yo. 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 <laughs> if we got uh, producers for episode 256, Matthew Chin, Mark Anthony Wyatt, Lee from the Big Conspire podcast, uh, Helen of Troy, and Slicko. Thank you so much. So amazing. They are. They are. Yeah. So amazing. You know, the really amazing in their love. Mm. In their love. Literally. 
literally the best mate. The best mate. Plus, extremely cool. You, you are extremely cool, guys. Yeah, thanks for uh, supporting us for another week. It means the world to us. If um, And we understand that. These are um, difficult um, times, particularly in the financial sense. We're, we're hearing all these horror stories from the lame stream about interest rates and all the rest of it. So um, we really appreciate uh, people who can donate fi- financially. That's why we don't put a price on it. It's whatever you think this is... Va- Whatever value you put on this, if you get a pound of value, that's fine. Send us a pound. If you get, if you're gonna forego forego a Starbucks, what's the Starbucks cost? I don't, I don't go four quid or something. Four quid, right? So you can send us four quid a month, whatever. You decide how valuable it is, and then if you're in the position to do so, you can forward it to us monetarily. Helps us keep the lights on, pay for the Zoom and the web hosting and all the rest of it, and it means the world to us if you can. So gratefully received. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Because I'm literally a communist. <laughs> you communist fuckers. Mm. Oh my god. God, that got a bit serious then, didn't it? I, no. Oh it? my god. <laughs> oh my god. I can't help it. I can't stop. I can't stop hitting it. It is not banner. Dear. Okay. We, I heard you were, you know, when in between us um, saying goodbye to Chris and setting off part two, you mentioned something about venting to electrical. <laughs> yeah. What's up with you? Well, you know. He chungus never stops. So sus. What did you do with Big Chung? What did you do with Big Chungus? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> you look shifty. Ah, do I look sus? What the farage? What the farage? I can't look at him. Look at him. He's, he's doing the old uh, grabbing the, uh, what do they call it, the bridge of the nose? You're embarrassing yourself. Sorry, no. What are you doing, man? I'm just thinking of Willie G. Are you retarded? Yes. <laughs> I don't know what's happening now. Oh, no, it's chaos. It's chaos. Sorry. Shall we, uh, shall we move on? Oh, shall we tell them? Oh. Okay, right. Before we do some funny stuff, just one one serious piece of news this week. Mm. Just one. It'll take ten seconds. Does it involve a stuffed beloved cat? cat? No. Oh. Come on, man. Oh, man. No. Come on, then. Get out of the way. Have you heard of uh, the hedge fund man- manager, Elliot? No. It's one of the most prestigious... I think they managed about $56 billion of dollars of uh, hedge funds. Right. And um, one of their letters was intercepted by the FT this week. Right. And they published it. Uh, warning of hyperinflation and global societal collapse. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Don't sugarcoat it. <laughs> Don't want to say I told you so, like, but... Ugh. Go figure. <laughs> I'm a spaz. <laughs> Are you retarded? I'm a spaz. Oh. <clears throat> I mean, they did say that it might not happen. So The hedge fund manager. In the letter, yeah. Right, okay. Oh, no, they're not commenting. They're not commenting on the, uh, the letter, obviously. They've been approached for comment, mm. but obviously they won't. 
Just something to bear in mind. I think Chris has got the right idea with the mosaic law, you know. Mm. That's, uh, we need to go back to sort of a land rent situation where, you know, a family gets a parcel of land and it's up to them what they deal with it. Mm. Um, let's get off this because I'm going to go in a doom loop about the economic system. Spiral. So I got... Um, okay, all right. Do you want to see the uh, the world's ultimate cream pie? Do I? Mm. <laughs> Don't Google that, by the way. <laughs> it's too late. There he is. He's got it. He's armed. Can you see his right arm? Yeah. yeah. Boom! Down he goes. Take down. I can't breathe. <laughs> Was it were you expecting some like was satire it, or something? Yeah, was it like on a pewter platter or something? Is that what like <laughs> like a lead based knocked around? Yeah, there was some weight behind that, wasn't there? Mm. Yeah, that was a dense. That wasn't like your average, you know, uh, whipped cream from a can cream pie wow. or shaving foam cream pie. That was like um, ex- extra thick cream whipped. And he was like a Scythian horse archer. <laughs> the way he's, the, the the velocity. Do you know how like the 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 draw strength on them bows they had? It was like one hundred and eighty pounds, right? They were taught to ride from four. I think they first got on a, on a horse at four years old. I, I knew you were dying to talk about <laughs> the Scythians because you tr- you've got even at least three references Straight. to the Scythians tonight. Really? Yeah. I know I called him a dirty skithian, but I thought I did that every week. Yeah, no. pretty much. No. I've you not be- been reading about skithians. No, maybe it's just it's just been wanting to fall out of your mind palace for... It's cluttered. Tumble down weeks. the stairs. It's, it's certainly <laughs> cluttered. Falling down the stairs, you've got no more room for it after that bottle of wine. <laughs> if I don't say it, it'll go forever. Yeah. It'll disappear forever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Any more facts about the skithians you need to... Uh, so they, they rode horses from the age of 480 pounds of draw strength on the bow. That's a lot. It's a lot, yeah. yeah. I mean, even if you could, know only those two things, that's probably enough. They could hit birds out of the sky. Wow. Whilst riding. <laughs> yeah. Um, in fact, the other technique were... Um, they were so in tuned with the horse, mm. they would release the bow when they, all four hooves of the horse were off the ground. Exactly. Boom. Do you reckon that's where the centaur myth started? Oh, fuck, I've been roped in! <laughs> good good, good yeah. point, yeah. I don't know. I mean, my initial thought is that the centaur myth probably predates... The Scythians. The, horse, were they like, the, the horse archers. Right. Mm. Nomadic horse archers. They've been the scourge of the Chinese forever. Probably since the beginning of Chinese recorded history. Mm. 3000 BC or 4000 BC. No, 3000 BC. So um, it's, it comes to the point where w- w- when did men on the men civilization on the steppe domesticate horses? I don't know right. the anthropology on that. Uh, when did when did uh, the steppe people domesticate horses? Could a Scythian bring down a flying drone cat at fifty yards? <laughs> Absolutely, man! Straight through this. These guys are space. naturals. 
they've, they've yeah. learned some toddlers. I mean, maybe like if we're talking a T2 style drone, uh, a Cyberdyne systems, oh, right, yeah. maybe that would be able to outmaneuver a Scythian horse archer. Yeah. Even with cat fur all over it. <laughs> it's not going to help with aerodynamics, is it? I don't know. Be snuggly though, wouldn't it? It would, yeah. yeah. Oh, mittens. Wondering what to make Zeus into now. When he pops his clogs. I think like an ATAT transport. <laughs> yeah. That. yeah. That or a tank. He's almost big enough to fly. Probably <laughs> <laughs> that that's probably the best thing to go with though. Yeah. We're approaching the power generator, Lord Vader. <laughs> You can begin your landing when ready. Oh, you could have uh, strings attached to small mouse drones to mm. fly around his legs. Like the A-wings. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Snow speeders. Snow speeders, yeah. Snow speeders or A-wings? Snow speeders, not A-wings. An A-wing is a galaxy-class travelling Come on, device. man. All right, so I thought they smelt bad on the outside. It's hyperdrive, for God's sake, I think. <laughs> You're embarrassing yourself. Oh, I think I'm right. Risk more cases and more desks. Deaths. More desks. Okay, um, Matt, you're flagging, Matt. It's, uh, oh, it's only 22. We're doing, we're, uh, and we've only a little bit to do. Um, We've done the ultimate cream pie. Um, Do you want to see a video of a dirty cheerleader? Every day. (laughs) Um, Watch the guy. Oh, gosh. Uh, why are they, um... Ooh! <laughs> Watch his hand. Hello. Ah, oh, ha, ha, there it is. Smells <laughs> 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 like sausages. Wow. Sausages? Mm. Dear, dear. <laughs> I mean... <clears throat> Do we got to talk? I mean, Putin is Hitler. I mean, Putin is Hitler. Mm. <laughs> Jeremy Cunt. <laughs> um. Putin is Jeremy Cunt. <laughs> it never Hitler. works. Oh, he's a chancellor now, isn't he? He is. Yeah. Wow. Chancelling. Such a weff shill as well. Yeah. Globalist weff shill. It'll it'll be great. Cunt. <laughs> <laughs> When do I get my parcel of land? Uh, that's not happening. Um, you know, the space gods are going to take over and civilization is going to collapse, I'm afraid. Okay. But then you, you get your parcel of land. Sorry? After the collapse, you can take your pick of the charred remains of the land. <laughs> <laughs> Did you read the article with the... I mean, remember the... the, the his, I don't know what he was, his proper title was. Was he an anthropologist or a biologist or... What's his name? I can't remember, but it was in an article in The Observer and he went to go and meet some billionaires and really rich people. Who were building underground shelters. They wanted advice for should civilization collapse on houses. Yeah, and it's like they were hiring private security mercenaries to protect them. But like um, like the guy said, well, guess what? The mercenaries can just kill you and take all your shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this it doesn't end. It doesn't end in a good way. Well, this is the thing. Sorry, so they were saying, they were saying, he was asking him, you know, what's the best way to ensure that the compound uh, remains safe and secure and all the. You rest know of where it. you need to build your uh, compound. 
in the past state for the men. Isle of Cox. Yeah, the, the Isle of Cox. And they were saying, he was said, like, uh, well, how do you think you would do it? And he said, well, well, we'll just put, like, electric collars around their neck. Ah, and no. they like... You know, if you do anything bad, I'll just kill them or shock them or something. Yeah, just have drone cats. Maybe I won't wear it, you prick. So they said, he said, like, you know, probably what you're better doing is, like, building some relationships with these people <laughs> prior to it. What? And, <laughs> and they just said no. Yeah. Wow. So it's just a different mindset. My uh, favourite story from this week, and it went mad on Twitter earlier in the week, was the uh, the Atlantic article about the pandemic amnesty. Mm-hmm. Did you not see it? No. It's a pandemic amnesty. It was a... uh, I don't know if she's an epidemiologist or something, but uh, she was writing in the Atlantic saying we need a pandemic amnesty. I didn't didn't pull this up because... Pandemnesty. No, I wasn't sure we would talk about it, but... It's happening. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I feel the need. I think some things should be said. Here we are. Let's declare a pandemic amnesty. Uh, it's from Emily Oster. Let's focus That's on the nice future. Image. Yeah, it's the it's the uh, olive branch, is it not? Oh yeah. Between a mask wearer and a non-mask. The fucking muzzle on. Let's declare a pandemic amnesty. Let's focus on the future and fix the problems we still need to solve. In April 2020, with nothing else to do, my family took an enormous number of hikes. We all wore cloth masks that I made myself. We had a family hand signal, which the person in front would use if someone was approaching on the trail and we needed to put on our masks. This is a scientist talking, by the way. Mm. Once, when another child got too close to my then four-year-old son on a bridge, he yelled to her, Social distancing! (laughs) These precautions were totally misguided. No shit. In April 2020, no one got the coron. No, hey, in April 2020, no one got the coronavirus from passing someone else hiking. Outdoor transmission was vanishingly rare. Our cloth masks made out of old bandanas wouldn't have done anything anyway. But the thing is, we didn't know. Hmm. I've been reflecting on the lack of knowledge thanks to a class I'm co-teaching at Brown University on COVID. All right, so she's teaching classes at at university about COVID. That's good to know. Ivy League. Yeah. What what chance are the kids have, man? She's teaching the classes. We spent several lectures reliving the first year of the pandemic, discussing the many important choices we had to make under conditions of tremendous uncertainty. Well, you know, Diamond Princess was out in March... The results of that, John Ioannidis, the most cited and famous epidemiologist in the world, was releasing numbers in March 2020. Anyway, I don't want to get us banned off YouTube. But, yeah, basically, it's, it's interesting because this whole article comes up as an admission of guilt. She's asking for an amnesty. Right. Why? Well, to focus on the future and fix the problems we still need to solve. That's what she's saying. It's um, If you read the article, it comes up as a, a whole host of mistakes that they made. Yeah, there'll be a Brexit amnesty as well somewhere. About the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't say sorry or anything. It's like, we didn't know we made these mistakes. I wore my cloth mask outside. Bloody, bloody, blah. 
I'd just like to remind people of the... So I've got a supercut of the messaging we received in 2020 and 2021. I'm, I won't let it run because it's like five minutes long of this fucking horrible shit, but... People who refuse to accept vaccines, I think the right response for them is not to force them to, but rather to insist that they be isolated. Giving up your human rights is, is justifiable. It's justifiable to take away a person's bodily autonomy when you have a global pandemic. Those who haven't had jabs but could have jabs need to have a badge saying unjabbed. Really? Uh, yeah, nice. we just have to make people understand that, you know, no jab, no life, and, and that's how it is. Yes, I hear what you what you say about somebody exercising their freedom not to have a vaccine and they're perfectly healthy. I don't want them sitting next to me in the theatre. I don't want them standing next to me at the theatre bar. I don't want them next to me or anywhere near me or even in the same carriage on the train. So, uh, yeah, they can exercise their freedom by staying at home. If you decide that you don't want a vaccine or a booster... That's Esther Hansen. Then you can decide not to go to hospital, however ill you get. Nice. And that way, that is your right. So you would leave the unjabbed at home to die if they had a heart attack, if they suffered from a stroke. That's their choice. Dr. Fauci said that if hospitals get any more overcrowded, they're going to have to make some very tough choices about who gets an ICU bed. That choice doesn't seem so tough to me. Vaccinated person having a heart attack? Yes, come right on in. We'll take care of you. Unvaccinated guy who gobbled horse goo? Rest in peace, Wheezy. That's Jimmy Kimmel. The horse goo is talking about the thing that Joe Rogan take. Oh, oh, you can't say it on YouTube. No. Without proof of the vaccine, you can't go into a pub, club, restaurant, gymnasium, anywhere at all. You can't travel, theatre. You can't even go into work. I mean, personally, I have to say, I don't even think that we should allow people on the streets unless they've had the vaccine. We've tried the education. We've tried the carrot. We now move to the stick. If it takes time now, the time to find people, great. Let's start. Let's never go with hundred euros. Make it a hundred pounds, right? And it starts. And I tell you what, it's not sixty, but let's make it forty and above, starting on Monday. Okay. Now, if we come round, knock on the door, and you can show on your phone or you've got a letter or something, you've got an appointment. That's fine. But if you willfully oppose now, you're forty and above. One hundred pound fine in December. One hundred pound fine in January. Two hundred pounds in February, three hundred pounds in March. By the end of the year, you'll be spending about a thousand pounds, and that might cut through your ignorance. You've had your booster, and when you see people who will not take it, putting themselves at risk, it's it's sad. How do you, do you feel the same way I do? Does that yeah, make you angry? It makes me angry, especially in America, where they where they talk about it's my right, it's my freedom. No, it's not, because you are a killer. Don't get the vaccine, killer. You can't go to the supermarket. Don't have the vaccine, you don't show it. Can't go to the ball game. Don't have the vaccine, can't go to work. You don't have the vaccine, can't come here. No shirt, no shoes, no service. That's what I think we should be right now. If you're willing to walk among us unvaccinated, you are walk among us. Big chungus. <laughs> an enemy. We have to stop coddling the morons who will not get the shot. We start by calling them what they are. They are all snowflakes and cowards and idiots and losers. And most importantly, they are afraid. Now, I think you'll find that the people who rejected the arm spikes 
were the people who weren't afraid of the propaganda and the fear-mongering and the tickers across the BBC News every morning because they weren't paying attention. But that's another story. Where are all these people in this uh, <clears throat> gargantuan uh, sound clip now? Still on TV. Are they still saying the same things? This is my point. Can you read the title? Let's declare an amnesty. Yeah, we got all this. We it. got all this wrong in the last several yeah, twelve so months. Yeah, the, so then where are the, <clears throat> where are they all now? All those people who are on that clip are they still saying the same sorts of things? I hope not, because it's been proven to be bullshit, hasn't it? But the well, point is that twelve months ago, this is what I was hearing. Mm. Every week, every time I turned on the mainstream tripe. Yeah, I, was, I was resigned to the fact that I would never go abroad again. I, I remember, yeah. Do you, yeah, you realise that that's that. a big deal? I would never be able to leave the country. You wouldn't be allowed because you weren't... That was, that was the threat. This is a problem. It's easy to make a joke out of it, but this actually happened. I, I remember. Yeah. I so, their amnesty, they can shove it up their fucking arses. So you're aggrieved because you're not getting an apology for, for that? The least they could do is say, sorry, we got it wrong. Mm. But that there's none of that in this article. There's none of it. it I mean, it parallels with Brexit, doesn't it? There'll be there'll be no apologies for for that. What do you mean apologies for that? For the dropping trade and the dropping for a democratic decision. Well, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, that was yeah. What do you mean the dropping trade? Anyone who read the forecast knew there would be a dropping trade for about five years, and then it would start to come back. Right. If you looked at the long term OBR forecasts. Within 10 years, we'll be net positive, not negative. All right, I'll look forward to that. But I don't know why you're trying to conflate it with Brexit. This is about bodily autonomy. So uh, if someone apologised, who, who would you have to make that apology on behalf of all these people in the sound clip? I don't care. Just anyone? <sighs> no one is. What, can we get them all? Like, Edwina Curry, Astronaut, can I, we get I, them all to I, say, sorry, we fucked up? I don't think you will, no. Is, is no. anyone saying anything? No. They, they, they want an am- This is the point, they want an am- amnesty. Yeah, let's not talk about it. About it yeah. yeah, let's stop talking about what we... This is why I'm playing this clip. This is what they were saying for the 18 months before this. Yeah. Yeah, now they want to stop putting up with the idiots in this country and just say you now it's mandatory to get vaccinated. It's only a snapshot. Their freedom. I want my freedom to live. Justin Trudeau. I mean, I thought he was kind of a cool guy. Then I started to read what he he said. This is a couple of weeks ago. He was, or maybe this is September, but he was talking about people who are not vaccinated. He said they don't believe in science. They're often misogynistic, often racist. No, they're not. Mm, That was not smart of him at all. Right. He said. But they take up space. Mm. And with that, we have to make a choice in terms of a leader as a country. Do we tolerate these people? It's like, tolerate them. Now you do sound like him. If you don't want to get vaccinated, that's your choice. But don't think you can get on a plane or a train besides vaccinated people. That's the Prime Minister of Canada, by the way. True that. You can't leave the country. 
or get on a train. And put them at risk. We're going to move to a situation where, to protect the health system, we're going to lock out. That's Dan Andrews from, was it Victoria in Australia? I mean, to be honest... We played lots of clips of Dan Andrews. You're right. They all look, sound rather foolish. They do now. Did they at the time? But is it? I, I still, oh. It's like Australia's still closed. No, I don't think so. It's funny, their excess deaths are the same as ours, 17, 18%. Even though they shut down and I saw, managed to lock it out. For... I saw a brief clip of Dr. John saying it was like 1,300 excess deaths for October or something. In the UK. In the UK, yeah. Was that a week? That's the weekly figures. On. I think so. And he was saying that it was a thousand more than during the pandemic. Yeah, and we're post-pandemic, so excess deaths should be and below. He was, he was kind of a little bit uh, surprised, for want of a better word, as to why nobody was talking about it, and yet there was such a big fuss around three hundred extra deaths. We can only speculate. Is it because the health system has just been collapsed? Is it due to the <laughs> lack of routine screening? Mm-hmm. He knows. I mean, the big thing is, is that the excess deaths are happening happening over all age categories. Right. It's uh, kids under twenty fours excess deaths in under twenty fours. Mm-hmm. Why? So, does someone want to look at it? I know. Yeah. Please. No, they don't care. Mm. They're not bothered. We'll we'll find out eventually. Hopefully, it'll come out in the wash. Is there any way you can't go there? If Australia's open, uh, China, you can't get to. I don't think. Without they're still the doing lockdowns, aren't they? Think, in, yeah. in in China, I think though, if you're not fully no. vaccinated, I still know don't know know what that means. I don't I know what number of boosters we're on or at the moment. Can't go to America. Can't go to America. No. Not uh, they've, they, the last uh, thing I saw is they extended it to the eighth of January. If you haven't been vaccinated, you can't go to America. Wow. Been Unless you go to Mexico and then go illegally over the border, you can get in that way. Is that in the last six months? So either like up to date with boosters, or just had a jab at some point in the in the. I mean, it doesn't matter history. to me because I haven't had any of them. So, well, it's just weird if you have different um, countries applying different rules. It's, it's well, a well, nightmare. <laughs> the US is giving boosters to six month old kids, so. Let's, let's not listen to their recommendations. I don't know. To be honest, I completely forgot about COVID. <laughs> Actually, is it, so is it still like a thing? It's like, you know, in the news in America, like COVID. It's not even really... I think I saw... I happened to watch a little bit, like a minute of the news last night, and they, they did something on COVID, I think. Um they just say it's like it's up and there's a peak or we've reached the, the latest right. peak or something. New variants. The right. BBRX, the BB8. I've not, <laughs> heard, I've not heard anything about variants for a long yeah, it's time. Yeah, two, two new ones. One out of Singapore. Singapore. <laughs> Sorry, I'm from Lancashire. <laughs> and uh, one from somewhere, somewhere else. This time we had the Omicron. Had the Omicron last uh, autumn. Shit! Oh, that's, yeah, I remember now. You say it. It's a. It's a. Oh, sorry, we're on YouTube, aren't we? I won't. Say. Not it's, for long. it's not. A, it's <laughs> not a massive money spinner. People who are not vaccinated and can be. If you're making the choice not to get vaccinated, then you're making the wrong choice. 
you're making the wrong choice. And for safety's sake, and for the back to that point about how much work our nurses have to do, as this becomes absolutely a pandemic of the unvaccinated, and we open everything up, <laughs> it's not going to be safe for people who are not vaccinated to be roaming around the place spreading the virus. That's what they'll be. That's what they'll be doing. Ah, that's enough. All right. So Let's, the, sorry. This this these people who are feeling this frothy about how they feel, as we just heard. People refusing to get the arm speed. Those same people will still be wanting to be frothy about something mm. now that COVID has gone away. And they'll have that same feverish anger at whatever it is just to <clears throat> get them going. What's the next thing it's going to be where Esther Ranson comes on and says... You know, uh, you can't use your washing machine. No, I've said it from the beginning. It's now. climate change. That's that's what we think it's going to. Yeah, of course it is. But I think it's the other thing as well, isn't it? It's uh, politically that probably hit that persona. Will One votes. Yeah. Jeremy Cunt. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, it's it's more costly to be perceived as doing nothing than it is to be perceived to do something, but. Not everybody would like it. Because you look strong, yeah. don't you? Otherwise, otherwise you look apathetic. Well, then you flip reverse it and become the uh, first country to forget about it and move on. And that's a vote winner as well for the other the other aspects of society you didn't win in the first place. Yeah, you know, there's some countries who never took it on in the first place. No? Like, uh, is it Haiti? One of the uh, islands off the off the east coast in Not the Caribbean. Not everyone can afford a thirty-six billion pound track and trace system there. Well, you know uh, the Weaker. the economic nonsense <sighs> that's going to happen over the next two years. Guess what? You can pin that on. Yeah, <coughs> thirty-six billion. No, four hundred and. Well, I know that's only one little aspect of it, but even if we even if we had that back, I've heard numbers bandied around about. Um, a 50 billion deficit and things like that and taxes going to have to go up because of that mm. 36 billion of that could have been just put in that pot if we hadn't if it would have gone somewhere else and they'd still say we haven't got it but the track and trace is, is small beans we, small. we paid most of the country to stay at home and sit on the fucking arses oh, hello, yeah mm. fuck this is like memory lane <laughs> it's 400 billion mm. Yeah, but it's coming home to roost now. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know why yeah. your mortgage is costing more now? Yeah. Mm. It's because of that. Yeah. I know it felt great. It's, oh, I get to work from home. Yeah, well, we're going to be paying for it for the next 10 years, if we're lucky, if the whole thing doesn't fucking go down in flames. Let's move on quick. Mm. Christ. How do you keep your bananas clean? On a banana hanger? In a banana hammock? You never heard of a banana cleaner? No. Five years to invent a banana cleaner. After following the steps to install it, insert a banana, and when the switch oh, is turned yeah. on, it automatically cleans the bananas. You can even hang it anywhere. I mean, what? <laughs> is that not the. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, yeah. I, mean, I, I, I believe it fits all sizes of bananas. I've just remembered I've got a load of filthy bananas at home. <laughs> Does... I mean, it looks like it's obviously not a banana cleaner, but it just looks like what? it looks. How dare you! But it doesn't look what? like outrageous. <laughs> but it doesn't look. It looks like it would hurt. That it's a bit fast. Come on, man! Come on, man! 
I like a nice slow pace. <laughs> what the fuck are you people even talking about? Yeah, I believe a... there's. I, I'm guessing there is multiple ways. Like some people don't want the bananas cleaning urgently. <laughs> some no. people want uh, just. Uh... I mean, it's probably better for the environment to clean it slowly, isn't it? I mean, I like it's what? Messy either way. Where am I? You're embarrassing yourself. Where you can buy a machine that wanks you. Up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not. <sighs> Come this on, is man. a banana cleaner. Where's the Apple logo? What's it called? <laughs> well, uh, funny you mentioned. I've got the website here. It's oh, called uh, Automatic Telescopic. This is the. Uh... <laughs> what is it? Is that it? Automatic Telescopic. No, it's b- bananacleaner.com. Oh. It fits all sized bananas. Truvail. Worker. Perfect solo or couple, wink. Does that mean you can get two smaller bananas in? Yeah. I would think so. Yeah. You could have two. Like a planting. You, you could put a banana in each end. And oh, just the end of the banana. And they could have each, just the tips touching each other. Oh, this is a, You and Phil could do that with two bananas. Yeah. Yeah. It's a legit. Oh my God, the TV. Where's the TV remote? No, no. <laughs> it's the TV remote. Get uh, <laughs> one minute. One minute? Oh, Come on, minute! It's like Crystal uh, Maze! It's because Phil went on a rant on the Atlantic <laughs> article. <laughs> and the five minute warning's been and gone. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. £36, five star rating. Where are our reviews? I mean, I would. I mean, I bet it gets some clean, though. It will. Absolutely. Yeah. Does it exfoliate? <laughs> I uh, hope so. It's a le- legit product. I mean, you would have to use it once and throw it away, wouldn't you? It only comes really? with a 60-day guarantee. Yeah, I think that can clean multiple bananas. Do you think? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'd have several bites of the cherry to continue the fruit. Not me. I don't. Well, um, you know, there's a link for that in the show notes. Enter the code Army's podcast, get 10% out at checkout. Really? Yeah, man. <laughs> Excellent. The uh, banana cleaner. Well. That's a joke, by the way. We don't have sponsors. Value for value. Send us a banana cleaner. (laughs) So, yeah, I went up this triple extension ladder and then I got to the top of the ladder and I had to step off it onto the window ledge. Oh, So I'm, I'm, I'm stood there like that. I was probably, I don't know, 70. <laughs> that is wrong. I mean, wait. Right, let's go. Yes, it's time to go. So thank you very much for listening. Um, enjoy your banana cleaners out there in podcast land. And we will see you next week with more chit-chat and guests and news stories and all kinds of lovely stuff that you enjoy. So um, we'll see you then. Yeah. Are you retarded? Praise Jabalon. On several what levels. What do you do with Big Jungus? And all of the Elohim. Ben to we, Electrical. Oh, we didn't even talk to Chris about the Elohim. He's got... He's oh, got we touched time. upon giant people. Next That's time. enough. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Willie G. Willie G. Jungus. Chungus. Chungus never seems so sus. So sus. What did you do with Big Chungus? So sus. So sus. He bends to electrical. Fuck.
you. <laughs> Garden sausage roll. Right, see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. I want his penis off my arm, please. I imagine the carrot is my penis. Are you not entertained? I love you. Epic dub. Thank you for watching. I like what you got. Good job. I'm going to aim for the prostate in the men. Asna! Put your teacher out of ZZ Top. You don't give a fuck. Jeremy Cunt. You're embarrassing yourself. Fuck my inner asshole. Fuck my inner asshole. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. Yeah. Julian Beards.